You know, my son was, he's 18 there. When he's when he was born, you've got to go and get a job. So, you know, you think you're working your nuts off, not got no money, and you think something's got to give. Do you, do you want to drop these bags off? And uh, you'll get good money for it. Thinking back then, if I knew it was guns, that would have been... I know drugs is probably just as bad, but if I knew it was guns, you know, you'd think, well, I don't know about this. I got the phone call, you've got to meet this guy, and this is mad. you uh, got to meet this guy in Faden Boys. Got out of the car, and you know, you think... And I, that moment, I thought, oh, this is it, I'm fine. I was like, are you mad? And I, straight away... I'm one of them, like, you can stab me, but don't stab my family. Like, I'd think, you're not worried about your family. And I get a phone call, uh, you know that job you done the other day? I'm like, yeah, he went, he's gone over. And I'm like, right, what does that mean? <laughs> and he's gone like, you're, you're, I said, what do I do now? He said, get out of the country, do, do whatever, just off. And I was like, are you kidding me? And I knew in prison, the stories you hear and you think, I'm in Belmarsh. And do you remember the guy who chopped a body up, said he'd done it for, like, the crime family? Like, it was a right weird story. He was doing a cookery course in the kitchen. A, a prisoner's raped another prisoner. I never heard that until I got to this decat. And it was on a farm. There's stories about geezers being caught shaking the animals. And oh. I know. And this is what I can't stress to everyone. You do one stupid thing, 2020, and it still bites you on the me thinking there's nothing there's no harm in dropping a bag literally no harm there's no harm it's only a bag drop that bag off right so we've got an exclusive story today with frank now frank looks like a mild mannered handsome chap (laughs) but he was convicted of conspiracy to supply Class A 299 kilograms with an £80 million street value. And we are going to be getting to that. His co-defendants, um, in the end, there was 28 years some of them got, did they? Yeah, it got dropped to 23. Because they got it, they give them, I think, a bit of a importation thing and it wasn't that. They were the main conspirators. Yeah. Yeah. Well, huge thank you for coming on and sharing your story with us, yeah, Frank. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So how did you end up getting in this mix? Do you know what? It's a small... I'm from a little town, Epping. It's a small little area. There's a lot of that sort of money around there. And one of four brothers, you get quite popular in a little town. And it just... Coming from a poor background, not, you know, really poor, but we was a council found family. You get a little, oh, you, do you know what? I think I could do that. I, I, I was rubbish at school, got no education. So, you know, you think maybe I could earn some money out of that. And, you know, a friend of a friend of a friend. And then do you want to earn some money and do this? And the rest is a uh, history as such. What was your entry level job into that world? Entry level, I suppose doing, you know, uh, f- from a friend to a friend, getting a bit of a reputation like that. I had an older brother who was out and about in pubs and it was just, uh, 
I don't drink, don't take drugs, I'm reliable, and I think someone's obviously got to somebody somewhere, and they've just said, you know, can fancy dropping a bag off for money that probably would have took me a month to earn. I was scaffolding when my, you know, my son was, he's 18 now. When he's, when he was born, you've got to go and get a job. So, you know, you think you're working your nuts off, not got no money and you think something's got to give. And then some arsehole asks you to go and do something like that. That's interesting because I had a guy called Cody Bates. People can Google this, Courtney Bates, RIP. He, he committed suicide in the Scientology rehab. Yeah, really? Yeah. He, but he didn't do drugs or drink and he was totally reliable and he looked very preppy. Yeah. And he ended up, becoming my right hand man because he was just you know we go on these missions and the police would pull him over and he'd be like yeah, yeah you know just look at me basically how innocent am i and they'd yeah. let him go yeah okay. and uh you've got to play with to your strengths what you've got i right? can understand that skill yeah. set because he, yeah. he had that exact skill set i don't set. think i probably really i probably never would have been pulled over probably thinking about it well I, you know who's gonna i've got Oh, so I got. I wouldn't have gone with my kids, but you know, I've got I was quite um, from a young age. I was quite level-headed, and you know, being one of four brothers in our little town, you're quite well known, but not not you know, not in the, any ways of being these you know this family of freaking gangsters or any rubbish like that. And you was known as the Milky Bar Kid. That's how innocent. Well, no, yeah, no, I just looked like that. I think when I, I when I got arrested, I had long blonde hair. I was probably eight stone, fucking ringing wet. And I remember sitting there thinking, oh my God. <laughs> and it was, uh, I was called freaking Johnny Bravo at school. Remember him? <laughs> and uh, But being, you know, I was quite popular, probably too popular at school. Because I think you find out, if you think back, I think everyone would agree. The popular kids at school tend to, uh, I don't know, peak early, don't they? And they do really well. And then you think they don't really don't really do anything with themselves when they leave school they you know they get stuck into either what I got stuck into or go and get a normal job and all the popular kids at my school were probably builders which is a good job but you know they don't go on to being lawyers and god knows what else so how old were you when when you switched into the criminal world do you know what it was sort of part and parcel with scaffolding and that but I was probably how old was I 20 maybe 21 just uh you know, saw saw an avenue, a path that I, you know, I thought was a good idea at the time to go down. And I had a young, I had a son, which is a bad excuse because it's not a really good thing you want to leave your son. But it was just, it was purely money. And I come from a family with no money. And when I think I was 17, my mum, well, we lost our house through not having money. And it was a house we all lived in. So that I think that probably affected me more than I than than I thought, and I thought I just don't want to be poor. And 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 you see these guys; they're not clever, you know. They're so are you seeing then that in the beginning you were transporting, distributing, selling. What what was your areas? Probably a, a little bit of selling to a friend on a night out myself, and then it 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 just snowballs like like even if if I started a business back then and got into something and had a role model as such in business, I probably would have done, well, I definitely would have done better. Even down to, I bought a house when I was 20, scaffolding. And if I stayed scaffolding and kept that house, it would be, 
I think I looked at it a while ago. That it was hundred hundred sixty seven thousand. I bought it for. It's worth like three hundred eighty thousand pound now. You'd be sitting on three hundred grand. You know, you think you go in something to make money, and you end up making nothing. And all right, so you you got this entry level position. Then how did you advance from that? I think it was just word of mouth. Some you know, someone rings you. Can you come and do this? And then it was just a hierarchy of the bigger the crime. But even I knew I was dropping money off. I knew it was drugs. I knew I was dealing with dodgy people, but I did never think it was that much. Were you told not to look in the bag? Yeah, I, I couldn't have. It was they were all sit like it was in shopping bags. It was just it was literally get a phone call. You're going up north. Can you drop these bags off? Meet a geezer in Faden Boys. Met a bloke silver car. Take them. Followed him up north. Kind of yeah. like it was shown in Top Boy, where they sent the kid to Manchester with the bag, and they said, "Don't look in the bag." And then he gets <laughs> off the train, and then these older guys pick him up and take the money. And yeah, probably, yeah. It's 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 you never get told, do you? you? Never. You know what you're doing, but you you never sat down with. You know, I don't. You know, the people involved, the top men, I probably never ever would have known. I probably walked past them in the street and not known them. So transporting a bag then. Yeah, a couple of bags it was. Not so knowing it, what's in it. These journeys are multi-hour journeys, are they? Yeah, yeah. Is it is it car, train? Car. Car, though. What's going through your head on these journeys? Are you cognizant of cops, you know, possibly? Do you know what? I Probably, being a bit stupid, I don't know, but I just looked at it as in its work. Another, yeah, I'm just going to work. I joke around and say I'm going to work and people would be like, it's not going to work. But I was quite calm. I was calm and I wasn't, didn't drive erratically. I was reliable. Don't drink. Don't smoke. I love the odd drink, or, but I don't drink. Don't smoke. And I think pretty trustworthy that I was going to turn up and I wasn't going to, you know, take the bags. I think, you know, I was 25 when I, 24, 20, 25 when I'd done this. So it was quite easy to manipulate a 25 year old skinny bloke with young kids as well. And on these journeys, were there any mishaps or was it all plain sailing? Uh, it was all pretty much plain sailing, yeah. It was, there was never any, any, any points where I thought to myself, shit, I'm in trouble here. So like you need to take a piss, would you take the bag with you or would you just leave it just in the car? It. You'd hold it? Yeah. You wouldn't let it out your I'm sight. a big boy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I wouldn't. I, I, w- I wouldn't do anything until it's done. You know, you, you drop sank off and then I'll... I'll Drive there, drop it off, and then come back, and it'll you'd be hold a, onto your bladder until yeah, it's done. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and then it would literally just be going back, get another phone call. And that's it, really. How did you receive payment? It was just like cash, but just through somebody I know. It was like you know somebody who I know would say, you know, here's the money from from that job sort of thing. So someone would show up after you'd completed the mission and just yeah, drop or cash a couple of days it, later. Yeah, not it wouldn't be done straight away. It'd be, you know, you get it when you're given sort of thing. What was the frequency of these jobs? Do you know what? It it varied. It could be busy sometimes and then other times not at all. It just varied. And I think these people must have different people for different things, using them for different things as such. If you couldn't look in the bag, were you curious to perhaps, as a, you know, what if there was drugs or weapons put in a bag? Yeah. I, I, I'm never curious in the way where I'd look. Because I think outside, out of mind, and I think that maybe would have kept thinking 
going to prison and all that now, thinking back, it's probably the best way for someone to do that because then they're not panicking. You know, you could have walked them bags through, I don't know, customs if you really, if you, if you really didn't worry about it because it was just one of the, you know, because of, uh, you don't know what's in it. If you knew that there was something in it, obviously, thinking back then, if I knew it was guns, that would have been, I know drugs is probably, just as bad, but if I knew it was guns, you know, you'd think, well, I don't know about this. But I was never, I was never told, you was never told. But the people that you're told by somebody you know gets you in, not gets you in, but offers you the job, you know, the company they keep, and you think to yourself, they're not going around, you know, shooting people and God knows what else. How long was you working for this criminal enterprise? Not long. Year. One year? <laughs> yeah, maybe not even that. Didn't even get a good run at it. <laughs> So, okay, so over that year then, did anything unusual or dramatic out of the ordinary happen? Apart from actually this job, nothing, nothing was, uh, I was, I was, I was quite a quiet, you know, I'd done this, went home, I don't go out and drink, went home and had my kids. And then before this happened, I split up with my children's mum and went, and lived on my own, not in a flat, and I literally just didn't didn't go out. I did, I did. I wasn't a recluse or anything like that, and it wasn't. I just would scaffold, do the odd job for this, and then just go home and see my kids' weekends or when I could Wednesday nights. But all the all the weird stuff started happening after. Well, literally the day of this job, and then after that, of uh, dropping dropping these bags off is a. I, I went into a little cafe in Faden Boys' bakery. Is this the, the last mission? That you the did? last job, I, yeah, done, yeah. Just describe how that mission was presented to you in the beginning. Do you, do you, do you want to drop these bags off? And uh, you'll get good money for it. And I was told good money. What that is, I, I, I still to this day don't know what that was. What was the usual rate for something like that? I don't know. It was, it was, you could get a 500 quid, a thousand pound, depending on what you... Uh, in their eyes, what you're dropping off, what's worth it. But good money sort of tweaked my, because I was never told, oh, you're going to get good money for this. So I thought to myself, this could be not on that scale. I didn't realise, but it could so have you, been. So you agreed to it. What happened next? I, um, so I got the phone call. You've got to meet this guy. In, this is mad. you uh, got to meet this guy in Faden Boys in a silver car. I knew it was going up north. Just told it was going up north, follow this car. So I've gone in the bakery in Vaden Boys before to get a sandwich and that because I'm thinking you can get, I'd rather get it all now and eat it in the car on the way there. I don't want to stop. And I've walked in the bakery and it's, it's empty and, and uh, there's a guy sitting in the window, just sitting there. Didn't I sort of took a little bit of notice of him but didn't uh, take big notice of him and then walked and ordered a sandwich and that. And the woman behind the counter, still remember it to this day, she said, does anybody want anything else? And do you know like implying someone's been there too long? And I thought, it's me, I've just walked in and there's someone there. She didn't know me. No, like. So as I was walking out, I sort of glimpsed at him and saw his coffee cup. And top of his coffee cup, there it was, you know, all, all like scummy. So it looks like the coffee's been there an hour. And I thought to myself, why is he sitting? I know I'm doing something dodgy. And I've quickly looked at him, took that split second. He's wearing outdoor clothes, outdoor shoes, outdoor jacket, got a bag next to him. And then he had a skin-coloured earpiece in his ear. And then I thought, fuck. 
And I thought, uh, you know, knowing that Essex was a bit of a, a, a dodgy area, but like anywhere else is, and you think, oh, yeah, is it for me now? So I've gone and the guys uh, got out of the silver car, give me the bags. And I said, I've just seen this thing in the cafe. He's going, oh, don't worry, it's not for us. We're going up north. So I thought, fair enough, followed the car up north. Drove up there. When he said that to you, did it reassure you or was there a niggling doubt? Uh, it sort it reassured me because of a, uh, do you know what? When, when you're not, I wasn't, I'm not very academic, wasn't at school. And when you've had, you know, uh, I don't know, you have that insecurity and people say stuff to you and maybe reassure and you think to yourself, yeah, fair enough. And this is the problem with, you know, when you're not academic and you've not got decent role models, you get, this is what ends up pushing you into things like this because you feel like you can't go and get a decent job as such. So it sort of reassured me, but then we drove off and there's a pond at Fading Boys and I've looked and I thought... When you say we drove off, is it two cars? Yeah, I just followed me and I just followed this silver car. You're following the silver car at this point. And drove off and the guy from the cafe standing at the... um, the pond in a orange, fucking bright orange Mac. And I've looked and thought, that's a bloke from the calf. Didn't think nothing of it. Drove up there and drove Pontefract Castle, it was, into a car park. And I've pulled over to the side and I'm just letting them talk. Got waved over, pulled next to him, literally got out, opened the boot, lifted the bags up. And they're having a conversation. I've like nodded, put the bags in their boot which they were going to, and they were swearing a lot. And you know, you think to yourself, it's strange. Like, when you have a conversation with someone in that world, I don't think people are not fucking, fucking, you fucking. And I thought, you know, you think to yourself, that was a bit weird. And then quickly looked at them, and they didn't have a, that, like, didn't have nice jeans on or a nice jacket or a nice watch. And you think, in that world, as, again, being naive, you just think, you know, they don't, they didn't look the part either. They were, they were like rough looking blokes, but where they're up north, I didn't have a clue. You know, I lived in a little town in Epping, up north as people on TV sort of thing. So I thought to myself, anyway, didn't think nothing of it. Didn't think nothing of it. So shut the boots and I'm going, left into it, drove off. And then driving back, I've pulled in a petrol station in Leeds. Yeah, but in Leeds. And then the silver cars coming behind me, what are you doing? I said, oh, I've just looked. No, I need some petrol. They've gone all right. So I'm filling up with petrol. I think he's got, gone in to get something. And uh, a, a white van's pulled in. I've looked to the left and the geezer from the calf in Epping, in Faden Boys, which is what, 100 odd miles away? I don't know. As uh, got out of the car and, you know, you think, shit. And at that moment, I thought, oh, this is it. I'm fucked. So I've quickly run in the petrol station and said, uh, that's a bloke from the calf earlier. I told you something was wrong. And the geese just said, get away from me. So I thought, fuck this. So I'm looking about, thinking, what do I do? And I've sort of hovered around the shop. And then I've gone into the toilet. And quickly, do you know when you just... Every, do you know everyone makes these split seconds? So I've thought, right, the toilet. I go in the toilet over there. And I've gone in the toilet. And the window is above the toilet. So I've stood on the toilet looking out the window. And it's literally watching the exit onto the motorway. So I'm sitting there waiting, thinking, oh, I'm not moving till that van goes. And then the cars are pulled out and then the van's pulled out after the silver car. And I thought, right, so I've relaxed a little bit. Gone and paid for my petrol. Got back in the car and I'm thinking, fuck, 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 what do I do? And, you know, you, you know not to use your phone and things like that. And I'm thinking, shit, what do I do? 
So I drove back really slowly and then got back to my area, rung the somebody and said, what's happened? And I was told, I was probably imagining it. Which made you think? No. Really? And I said, I remember saying, I'm not the sharp, I know I'm not the sharpest tool in the book, in the box, sorry. But I'm, I did not fucking imagine seeing a bloke in, uh, and it was definitely him, see him in Faden Boys and see him again getting out of a car in Leeds, did you Leeds. say? Leeds. to Leeds, that's hundreds of miles, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think, possible. yeah. Coming, it's, it's impossible. And it was definitely yeah. him. What, thinking back now, do you know, you tell your story to mates in prison, they go, you should have gone up to him and said to him, oi, mate, weren't you the one? Because it would have stopped the whole thing, wouldn't it? No one have got nicked. Like, weren't you the bloke in blah, 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 opened a van and would have seen a camera or God knows. But later on, probably jumping a forward, but that, that meeting in that car park, they've, um, there was a camera filming us and uh, my, my briefs come in and his, this was like whilst I was on remand. And he's showing me this video and he's going like, Frank, because they was going to try and bail me. It was going to go for bail because they just had my DNA on a car at the time. And no, on a pair of glasses in a car. Uh, and I didn't get picked out in a ID parade by the undercover officers, which uh, is probably a bombshell because I'm not mentioned it. They were undercover officers who we were buying the drugs from. And they... Uh, so I'm, I'm watching this video and, and at the bottom of the video, you can see me walk into a car, getting in a car and it's running out. And I'm thinking there's three seconds left. I'm like, you can't tell that's me. And my brief went, wait, three seconds left. I get in the car, open the car door and I turn over my shoulder to have a look. And the camera goes wallop on my oh. face. And I was like, and I was on remand and the meeting before, do you know, you know what it's like, do you know, when you're having barristers, they just don't give you any good news, do they? And I'm like, can you please give me some good news? Because my my family, I'm ringing my family and telling them, no, no, no. And he's like, what do you do? And after that, funny enough, after that, that meeting with the brief where the camera goes on my face, he used to come up and we'd, we'd chat about football. Like chat about, because it would be like, we decided I was going to plead guilty. But my, he said, don't plead guilty. Now. I didn't have a clue about prison. Don't plead guilty now because you lose all your... You know, you'll, you'll, be, you'll be able to wear your own clothes and your canteen and things like that. He said, leave it a little while. He said, you'll still get your third off. So I went guilty at probably the latest opportunity I could. But All right, hold on a sec. Yeah, going back to... Yeah. Yeah, so I've... You've got home. You've been told you've imagined, imagined it. Imagined it, yeah. That pissed me off a bit. <laughs> but all these people that you're telling, you sort of... This is going to sound really shallow and stupid, but you sort of look up to them mm. because of... And it may be because of money or maybe, you know... Deep down inside, did I want to be part of this inciting gangster world? I remember watching, I remember mum telling me, watching the craze film, do you know, the, the, the Kemp brothers, like, stop watching that. What are you watching that for? Because I watched it probably too many times. But it, I don't think I wanted to be a, in a gangster and in this world or anything like that. But I think it was maybe a cop out of thinking, I, I couldn't be a lawyer. I couldn't be a solicitor. I couldn't be, I couldn't get a good job. I just, you know, I got expelled from school. I've, I got I got suspended, expelled from school, and the headmaster in our school um, wasn't bad. It was just naughty, climbing on the roofs, doing stupid things. And it's a funny story. As a kid, they uh, we got caught smoking on the roof, and I'm in the meeting with all our parents, and uh, I said, "No, no, no, we wasn't smoking. Uh, I had a piss up there because it was cold. It was a steam from the piss." And the whole room just started laughing. So it was just that stupid clown who just... But I, I think 
when I took things seriously at sport at school and things like that, I, I could be serious. So I think maybe that come in, you know, with a little bit of a dodgy group of people looking over your shoulder. They thought this kid could be quite reliable. That's, that's how I look at it, I suppose. So you've got back. They're saying you're imagining it. Does that mean you continue to do more missions? No, that was it. All right, I so was what never happens, called again. What happens next then? So for me, nothing. But obviously going to court, I find out that they organise to pick the drugs up and things like that. But in between that... Hold on, your arrest. My arrest. Well, no, there's something in between that okay. as well. I pick my kids up on a Wednesday, mm. take them out on a Wednesday night, and I've picked my two kids up. Uh, uh, deep down, I've not told all my family and all that, but I knew I've, I've dropped a clanger in. I knew something... And I, I, I knew I didn't know. Do you know you think? Oh, I'm going to get arrested and all that. You don't. I don't know. I'm green as you like. So on the Wednesday, I go and pick my kids up, and I'm, you know, getting a bit ups, not getting upset. It was at High Beach. Always remembering it. Sunset, and it was a beautiful night. The kids were playing. I remember watching them, thinking, "Is this going to be the last time I, I'm, I'll see them?" And I, I remember sitting there, and I got emotional. And I mean, my daughter was only little. And she's going, Daddy, why is your face crying? Or something silly. And I was like, no, nothing. Anyway, so we're driving home. No, so I dropped them off. And then I had the kids again a couple of days later, which was uh, of a night. And it was unknown for me to do it. And I'm driving back from Harlow to Wolfen Abbey, where they lived. And I don't know, it's probably 10, 15 miles. And I've looked in the mirrors and I thought, oh, I can see a helicopter behind me. And being a bit paranoid because I've seen the job go off. And, you know, you think to yourself, ain't for me. It's not for me. I'm just a fucking little idiot from Epping. And I'm driving now from Harlow, getting to Epping. I'm thinking, helicopters are fast. Why has that not gone over the top of me? So I'm driving all the way to Orphan Abbey. It's still behind me. And I'm thinking, it's by now, that helicopter should have, wherever it's going, it should be there. Pulled into my kid, it's like a cul-de-sac. My kid's house is in this cul-de-sac in Wolfram Abbey. I pulled in and the helicopter's stopped above my kid's house. And I remember uh, thinking, shit, this is going to happen in front of my kids. And, you know, you just think, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not one of them who's going to start fighting and all this with the police, but you don't, you, you, shit you see on TV, they're going to kick the crap out of you. Five police cars block the, block the avenue up. One comes flying in, they jump out, and then they start screaming and shouting at each other. And it seemed a little bit like they didn't know what they was doing. And I thought, what's going on here? So I'm straight away, I'm trying to get distance from my kid's house and my kids. And I've gone down the steps. Oh, everything all right, everything all right. And they've gone, uh, 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 yeah, have you, have you? And one of them shouting from another car, I don't know. Have you seen someone covered in blood? And it was a bit, I thought that was a bit vague. And I said, what do you mean? He said, oh, have you seen that we're looking for someone covered in blood? And I was like, no, we've not seen nothing. And they've gone, oh, okay. Got back in the cars and drove off. And I thought, that was fucking weird. Later looking in, only then jumping past, so it, it it's relative. Later looking in my case, after I've dropped the money off, that Wednesday night, well, a Wednesday night afterwards, I can't remember the dates, but the time, I used to drop my kids off about seven o'clock. Someone's gone to pick the drugs up and called it off about seven o'clock, called the job off. This Something ain't right. The first time they've gone to pick the drugs off, something came right, called it off and gone back. And it was around the sort of time I dropped my kids off. So whether, whether, I don't know, but whether they've pulled, they've, the police have turned up and pulled that, um, pulled into Nick me and then they've said, fucking stop, stop. They've called a job off. 
because if they nicked me then there's no crime because the drugs haven't been picked up sort of thing so that's definitely what happened, i think what's weird here is the guy I told you about, Cody Bates, my, my guy. Yeah, yeah. He got arrested exactly the same as you with the, he, the helicopter. He saw it and he's thinking, this is like good fellas, you know, the helicopter's yeah, following me. Yeah, that's what you don't me. think. You think, surely he, not me. He drove from one side of town to the other and it was still not just the, as, yeah. the same as what and you And I've, I've spoke to uh, people like when I was away and they just laugh at me saying like, how did you not know? Because like helicopter goes, I don't know, 500 miles an hour <laughs> and I'm stuck in traffic <laughs> thinking and I've been told like, as well, a helicopter can watch you like three, four miles away. His, his, but that's not how I got arrested. His arrest didn't get postponed. The helicopter was following him and then he was on the motorway and he yeah. saw all these police motorbikes and they just completely surrounded him and took him off the motorway. Really? Yeah. They'd done... Uh, so in our case, it was quite funny. The, uh, the van, the guy who picked the van up, he's um, started the car and drove off down the motorway and they reckon the police drove ahead and jackknifed a lorry because their mobiliser didn't work. So he shouldn't have drove off. But after all of this, like I mentioned to, I mentioned to a guy that, that got me in and us, you know, about, um, it's a bit fishy and things like that. I said, why don't you all just, uh, after I'd said that, I said, why don't you just turn up in a mo- free motorbikes? I said, and if it, if it is dodgy, one motorbike gets nicked and you've got away with the rest. And, and, and t- like he just said, oh, no, like, I said, like, something stinks. Surely I ain't going to go through with this. And then they was like, no, no, don't, don't worry about it. So I, so when I, when I left, I thought, well, right, nothing's, they're not, they're not going to go through with it as such. That I, I was just dropped a bag of money off and I don't know whether I dropped drugs off money off, but I was a bit like, well, what happens next? And it was like, don't worry about it. All right. So. The cops have come and cancelled arresting you. Maybe, yeah. What happens next? So, uh, oh, I'm in a little town near me and I get a phone call. Uh, you know that job you done the other day? I'm like, yeah. He went, he's gone over. And I'm like, right, what does that mean? And he's gone like, you're, you're, we're fucked. I said, what do I do now? He said, get out of the country. Do, do whatever. Just fuck off. And I was like, are you kidding me? I'm like, I've got, I'm, I'm one of six kids. We're a tight knit close family. I've got kids, my, I've got two kids. I've got a son and a daughter. And I'm thinking, fuck, like, what, what do you mean get out of the country? And he's like, see you later. So I'm thinking, shit, what do I do? And, and that's when I, you know, I decide to, uh, think shit, keep like, keep, keep it low or just literally do one. Before and this then, moment, had you contemplated your options if this moment no, was to arise? No, I was going to carry on and just hope for the best. It's going to go carry on scaffolding, hope for the best, hope for nothing happens, hope it all disappears, bury your head in the sand sort of thing. And do you know where you're a minute part of it? You sort of think, oh, I'll be all right. You know, they don't want, they don't want them, but no, you know. So yeah, and then coming back from Thailand... On an aeroplane. Hold on. Why, why did you oh, go to Thailand? I just fuck, had to get like get away. Okay. And I and I, I had like these uh, stupid ideas about arrest warrants and European arrest warrants, and I thought I'd go to Thailand and be a bit of a beach bum for a little while. What was the gap between the call where he said go overseas and you going to Thailand? Um, Probably two months two from months. the from me getting the call and getting arrested. Did well, anything no, unusual happen in those two months? No, I was like kept such a low profile. No, not even. You starting to think you had got away with it by the end of those two no, months? No, no, I, 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 um, 
went to Thailand because I just wasn't, I didn't want my family to get involved in it. My family didn't even know where I was. I just said, I've got to go. I'm not telling you what I'm doing, what I'm going. And I just literally got as much money as I could together, borrowing money and that, and then just disappeared. And then I thought I could go and be a beach mum in Thailand, you know, living sort of under the radar as such. Because I thought, you know, you're watching telly and you think, oh, you get arrested in Europe, you'd be taken back to England, blah, blah, blah. And I thought to myself, where could I go? I probably wouldn't get in Australia. And I thought I'd try Thailand. And then... uh, Were you in a dilemma of preparing them for your arrest, but not being able to tell them what you'd done? I told them, I told them I've messed up. I've I've messed up and I'm in trouble. And they're like, what sort of trouble? I said, don't worry, I'm not not messed up where I'm going to get killed. I'm, you know, they, they know that. That's a relief. Yeah. Do you know what you think? <laughs> I've messed up and I might, I might get yeah. arrested sort of thing. And they didn't, they didn't have, they didn't know um, how severe it was. Well, I didn't know how severe it was. And then, yeah. And I decided to come back from Thailand. Just had was, enough. Was it, was it fun in Thailand? No, uh, I didn't enjoy it. Was it, was it weighing you down? I just, yeah, I just, uh, I, Personally, and my all my family are we're we're, we're such a family orientated family. I just sat there, hated every day, missed everything, and I remember sitting there in Thailand thinking, "I've I've sacrificed so much. What a fucking idiot! All for a bit of money, not knowing that I that's like that was just a minute of what's come like what's coming." And, I f- and you just think to yourself, you don't think, I just, uh, even in prison, I, t- I just take each day as it comes, I still do now, and I think I did before. You just think, right, I just wake up in the morning and then get on with it. But yeah, I was sitting out there thinking, I've had enough, I missed my kids. And, you know, I, I've I become single probably a year before all this happened. So, I, you know, the, I, it was raw, still raw, I wasn't living with my kids, so I missed them still probably from then. So it's just... It was just a thought of, right, I'm going to go back and face the music and see what happens. Oh, yeah. Uh, Well, when I was in Thailand, what decided it was a friend of mine who um, hired a car for me. He got raided. And that was that that was the decided moment. And and this guy was a really, really nice posh, like not posh, but just really nice. Never got involved in crime. And his house got raided by soccer. And uh, they don't go lightly, do they? And it was like shit. Soccer. So, yeah, serious organised crime agency, which I think they're the national crime agency now. I think they're like business, just go bust every time. But I think they're they're all handpicked, aren't they? They're they're not police officers anymore. They're handpicked, and I think they're civil servants. I felt I'm only finding out through your paperwork, but they're the the squeakiest clean, the best of the best. Sort of. I think um, they go around the world training these police forces now so yeah they 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 was in charge of the case they were the ones who now once i get the paperwork i find out all of this but they were the ones in charge of the case and our, our case starts like you've opened the middle of a book like one of your books you open the middle and you think what the hell and it's literally a meeting in Wolfen abbey with this Colombian guy saying um right hello blah 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 the Colombian guy's like oh here's a phone number ring that and they're like you're not here to pick the drugs up we've got the drugs here so how that, like, what the fuck happened before? But then they said there was a thing called a PPI, which is a public protection or PPI? Public protection investigation. So they was protecting somebody. But my barrister said that he seems to think that they've arrested importers and then they've just become the importers. And then just, you know, the importers obviously said, I'll give you, I can, I can, if you let me off or whatever. We still don't know to this day what what happened before then, but it was just it opened in the middle of a book. 
So you're on a flight back home? Yeah, on a flight back home, sitting next to an Australian kid and he's never been to England, about my age, chatting away. I'm telling him, go to Wimbledon. It was, uh, it was sort of like um, June uh, when I got arrested. And uh, so the job all happened. Uh, March, I dropped the money off and then the, the, the drugs were picked up and the guy in the van was uh, jackknifed on the motorway. In June the twenty second, I think, and then in so no, yeah, June, and then I got arrested in June, April the twenty second. The drug job was, and then I got arrested in June. So I'm on the airplane, come back, chatting to this Australian kid, telling him everything, you know, do this, do that, and uh, go to this place, go to that place, and he's loving it, and we're chatting away, and he's I I didn't really go out in London. I was quite um you know stayed around my area, but I'm telling him these places, and I. Always was interested at something in historical places to go, not like nightclubbing like young people should do. I've always probably, I'm like an old man in a young bloke's body. And uh, he's, we're sitting away chatting. I remember the woman sitting there, a bit older than me, and like, do you know, a bit of turbulence. We're looking at each other. Oh, oh, and that one was the big one. And then we've landed and um, they've said, uh, We've all got up and they've said, can everybody sit back in their seats? No, can everybody sit back in their own seats for health and safety reasons? Come over on the tunnel. And I'm thinking, I've been on, you know, I've been on enough flights to know, fuck. And there's still a part of you, still a part of you thinks it might not be for me. I don't know why. Um, I'll find out later on. I'll t- actually, I'll leave that telling the story. I'll find out later on. My kids are outside and my mum's outside waiting for me. Anyway, so um, I've... Sat back down the seat. I've put the earphones on and I still remember it. Do you know that song, English Country Garden? I'm, the, I'm listening to that and I'm opening my eyes and I'm thinking, right, what's going on? And then all of a sudden, two officers, uh, two officers in uniform have come on and then two plainclothed officers have come on. And uh, air hostess is pointing over to my area and I'm thinking, oh, it is me. Do you know, and you think, even then, you're thinking, no, oh, it is me. And the the claim, plainclothes police officers have come down the aisle and said, um, are you Frank Steadman? And I'm like, yeah, they're like, you're nicked. And I was thinking in my head, no shit. But being, me knowing I'm not aggressive or anything like that, I've stood up and this is what like, I can't stress to it, people so much. I was a normal, happy-go-lucky kid a couple of years before. And then, uh, you know, we had shit maybe with losing the house and I was, pretty naughty at school but I was happy-go-lucky kid so I've stood up from my seat and it, the bloke stuck the gun in my head get back in your seat and do you know when you think you're a normal kid a couple of years before, and you're sitting in an airplane with a gun at your head that is how easy I can't explain to you know and I know every time you put the take the turn the news on at the moment some kids I think recently the other day some 15 year old stabbed another 15 year old to death like you can't explain within a couple of years of a couple of bad choices You've got a gun at your head. So my little area airplane's fucking erupted. This poor Australian kid sitting there thinking, what the fuck? All the passengers yeah, are watching. Yeah, we sat on an airplane uh, and it was a straight flight from um, straight flight from Thailand. So we, we've, been, we've been chatting for a long time. And uh, the poor lovely woman sitting next to me screaming. And I'm like, I, I, I'm just getting my bag. But the soccer agent put his hand on the on the bloke's shoulder and the bloke's loaded his gun. I said, I'm just getting my bag. And then the lady soccer agent has said, I'll get it for you. And we've walked off. And then they've stopped me at the end of the aeroplane. Yeah. <laughs> Mentally checking my pants. Thinking, have I shit myself? 
And uh, so Mint so <laughs> stops off the aeroplane. And they've stopped. So we've got off the aeroplane. They've stopped me. And then everyone's come off the aeroplane and walked past me. And I'm looking at the floor thinking, do you know, you're, like, I'm embarrassed. I'm not one of these people who thinks they're hard for getting fucking arrested. I'm looking at the floor thinking, close your eyes, close your eyes. And I'm looking up and there's still people walking past and I'm handcuffed. And then we're walking out and uh, only good thing, get arrested in the airport. You don't queue. <laughs> Didn't queue up straight through. And we're walking out and uh, I said, we went to immigration and I said to, they said, like, um, give them your address. And I said to the, this was the airport police. I haven't got an address. And he's, uh, I think he swore. I think he said, you, uh, you're immigration, mate. You've got to give a fucking address. And he sort of put my back up a bit. And I said, mate, I'm go- it looks like I'm going to prison anyway. So what, what do you need an address for? I said, I've been, I've been in Thailand for a few months and I was living off my mate's sofas because I, I, I used to have an address a year ago, but I've moved out from there. So I'll give my mum's address and a mate's address. So I was sleeping on the sofa, which that was really bad because. He was having a massive family wedding and the soccer's gone around there and his dad's picked family up from Singapore and pulled up to his house and there's police all over his fucking house. You know, you think, and still to this day, I've, I don't think the parents forgive me for that. He's, he's a good mate, but do you know, you think they've pulled up and there's fucking, and you know, even now you think to yourself, what a fucking idiot. All this shit you've caused over a bit of money. That's all it's for. It's a bit of money, which, you know, anyway. And so I'm coming off the aeroplane and this, this, this copper's giving me up a little bit and uh, gone to the next thing. And this guy's swabbing my bag. I, I took hand luggage and uh, he said, oh, what's he been arrested for? And he said, oh, conspiracy supply class A. And I'm, when he said it, I'm thinking, to myself, right, what the fuck does that mean? And I knew it's drugs and I'm thinking, shit. So straight away you're thinking, right, there must be drugs in that bag, not money. Or was there money in that bag? I don't know. But then part of me, like you said earlier, thinks, oh, at least there weren't guns in there. And uh, he said, oh, yeah, there's traces of cocaine in this bag. And I've just bought that bag, literally in Thailand. And, I've, and I'd dump a little bit because this guy's sort of given, put me back up. And I said, no, they fucking ain't. And the policeman said, oh, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. I said, no, there's not drugs in that bag. There was never, it's a brand new bag. He said, well, there's traces of it. And the bloke stepped back and he was a, he looked like a bit of a job's worth, the airport bloke. And, uh, I said, don't worry about it. It won't come up in the case. And later on, luckily I pleaded guilty. So it come up in the case. He had traces of cocaine in a rucksack. So that, in a case like that, it makes you look like you're traveling the world with a rucksack of, it would do, wouldn't it? So I'm so glad my brief told me, You've got to plead guilty because you'll get caught up in all the drama of this. And it's, they know what they're doing. They were so clever. They didn't bombard our case with loads of evidence, people to wriggle out. They were so clever, the police, with it. And uh, so we've gone off, yeah. And then I didn't realise the airport police handed me over. I oh, know, that was it. I, and I said, I think my kids are outside and my mum. And they've gone, uh, don't worry, wrap a jacket. This is airport police. Wrap your jacket around your handcuffs. And I'm thinking, Really? And they're holding you. They're not like just letting you walk. And um, and then the soccer agent takes him in a room. Says one minute, takes him in a room, and the police, uh, the policeman come out. The airport police, pure white. And you know, you think, what the fuck's he just said to him? And he said, oh, we're going to take you out a side door. And you know, call me what you like. But later on that night, after all the you know early hours in the morning, I shook the policeman that the soccer agent's hand and said, I found out through my barrister, my kids were outside. I appreciate that. You know, you can't. Not everyone's an arsehole. Good people do good things and bad people do bad good things and good people do bad things sometimes. It just, I just thought, you know what? It deserves a handshake. I, my kids, it's, tra- it's traumatic for kids that. 
I was pretty much a kid myself, really. So yeah, and then I, I, I get arrested, and then I've been. That's when I found out when I got arrested in a police station. You say, right, Mr. Edman, I'm remanding you in custody for, and it's two hundred ninety nine kilos of cocaine. You think, fuck it, you know, really? And then, and that's when I start thinking, shit, I'm in trouble here. Which I knew I was. But when they didn't bail me, because the airport policeman's going, don't worry, you'll get bailed. And where they didn't bail me. And I went to court the next day. And the, do you know the Serco people who, who, who take you in and out of court? They're all going mental when they read out my case. They're singing and dancing. And, and in the back, they're going, fucking Pablo, look, look. Everyone, look at this. He's wearing trainers and a pair of jeans and a T-shirt. Not knowing I'm a fucking minute part of this, dropping a bag of money off. But the court make it sandbagged so you don't get and I'm sitting there thinking, what the fuck? And like every day, you're just taking each day as it comes. It's all new. I've not even been arrested before. It's all new to me. You know, you get done trespassing because, you know, there's a broken window in like a youth centre and you climb in there and things like that. But not um, not to this scale. Yeah, and then I get remanded in custody and and go from, I think I was at Kentish Town Police Station. Yeah, then went to Wormwood Scrubs. When we wake up in the morning, we get out of bed and we start our day with Koro Snacks. Koro is a healthy snacks brand focusing on bringing additive-free natural ingredients to their customers with fair prices in bulk packaging. They have everything from nut butters to free from baking ingredients to cooking essentials and, of course, the snacks. Look what's in this, Jim. It's the vegan power mix from Koro. So we have a mixture of nut kernels, dried fruit... Cacao nibs, soy crispies, and hemp seed hold. What are these little red ones? Wait. Look at this thing. Mmm. Mmm. That's good. Fresh and healthy. The problem is when you buy these things online, they're going to be fresh or not. This is high quality stuff. So, what makes Coro special in comparison to others? Coro's quality management team carefully and regularly reviews the quality of their products. For a 5% discount on Coro's products, use the code TRUECRIME with no space in between true and crime. The link to Coro's online shop is in the description box on YouTube. Thanks for supporting our sponsor. So what happens when you go into remand? Do they strip search you? Do they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I've go in, uh, got strip searched the first time I, I go through reception and they're asking blah 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 all your your crime and all that how invasive is the strip search not I don't think it's too bad because you, you keep your t-shirt on drop your take your trousers down shake your pants but then um, afterwards it, you know you get put on the seat there's a seat where to see if you've got phones up your ass and things like that but um, it wasn't evasive that, that first one but then the ones I had afterwards because of um um, um, being cut but I'll, I'll get back. I'll come to that. Being cut like a month, August. So I got arrested in June, July, August. Yeah, August, August around my birthday in August tenth. So uh, yeah, getting wormwood scrubs, and you know I'm at the first night centre thinking shit. And we're at the first night centre wormwood scrubs are dorm. And you're up in the first night centre for a couple of days and there's like one door. It's quite um, well designed. There's one door and you can hear a big wing behind that door and you're thinking, what the fuck? That's like the belly of the beast. What so is going on behind right that away. door? Yeah, you put in a dorm. That's a nightmare. It is. I was lucky. I was lucky because of uh, 
a guy's come to the door and he said, uh, uh, shouted out my name. I thought it was a prison officer. And I said, oh, that's me. So he'd just come back from Thailand and said, yeah, he's gone. I'll come in. As I'm getting closer, I see he's got a big scar on his face. For me. It's not a prison officer. And he's opened the door and I saw him in prison clothes. And you know, I feel, am I going to get beaten up here? Do you know, like them things go through your head. So you can ask me to get in the shower. But, um, we've gone and had a chat and he, someone's made a phone call from outside and he's just said, I'm, you, I'm being told to just keep an eye on you. Not keep an eye on you, but just keep an eye out, which was really helpful, really good for someone like me who's never been in involved and he's given me some canteen gone back in the dorm and the lad's like how did you get let out i said oh it's just a friend from a friend outside it was only from our local nothing to do with my case but from our local area and i was i I was quite good at football when i played men's football at 13 so i was involved with adults from the age of 13 i was involved in that sunday pub culture and i'm from that family where we spent our life down a social club but um yeah so that was that was lucky and then you're in a dorm and uh, you're up there for a couple of days thinking, shit, what's behind that door? And then, yeah, you get sent down, get found, get given your cell. Was it easy to sleep in the dorm? No. At the first, I was really tired because I was on an aeroplane. We was up all night, so I probably did sleep. But I'm quite good at sleeping. So I, I could sleep pretty much anywhere. But, yeah, you get you hear them horror stories, don't you, about prison? And you think, well, is that going to happen? But I thought to myself, you know, I'm... I'll just fucking, you know, I don't know. You don't really know what to happen if it does happen, if anything dodgy happens. But yeah, you sort of do, you probably don't sleep as deep as you do. But, you know, when I got out, it's probably when I started sleeping the best. You know, you think, oh, thank God. But then you have dodgy, oh, later on, that's it, dodgy dreams. Like my missus lent over me one night when I when I got out and uh, to get a bottle of water and I fucking jumped up. And like pushed her up against the thing, like freaked out. Yeah. But it's, it's, I think that's down to when um, security come in your cell. When you're cut age, you get um, in. This was in Belmarsh later on. Uh, security come in your cell and they search your cell, but they crack the door at like five in the morning. Let a dog in. Dog jumps up on you. You like you know what it's like. And they're all dressed in black. It's all proper. They know what they know what they're doing. And I've, I used to dream about that. That's the only thing that didn't torture me as such. But I remember dreaming. And do you know that dream where you can't move and blokes in black suits? But it's not um, traumatized me in a way of where it affected me. But I think that did. And for a little while, my missus I used to sit up in the night sweating. And this was on like home leaves. But, um, so you're in the dorm for two days. So you're in the dorm for, yeah, a couple of days, and then you get sent down onto the wing, and you're in like a cell, two of you, with a bunk you walk in, which is, but so Wormwood Scrubs is an so old prison. So you've got one prison, cellmate. One cellmate, but that changed over, because I was there for a little while. What was your first greeting, your first cellmate like? Do you know what? I can't remember who it was. I remember going in there thinking, all right, mate, and I sort of know deep down, one of my friends said something when I bumped into him years later, said, like, if anybody would go to prison out of us lot, we'd all put you up first because I'd get on with people. I know I could get on with people. I thought to myself, uh, you know, I'm not a fighter. Uh, you know, I was quite popular at school. I know I could get on with people and I caught, I'm, I'm pretty good at judging within a couple of seconds of a, of, of a situation as such. These are, these are the strengths that you find out after you've been in prison, not before. And I'm, you know, coming out of prison, you think to yourself, oh, you know, I'm not that much of a fucking idiot really and, and, and a scumbag. You don't realise, do you? But yeah, I remember going in there and it was, I used to hate that. Do you know when you're going into a new cell or moving prisons, that fucking, that, it's, I remember the, the worst time was when they was going to move me from Wormwood Scrubs, but I got settled. I was settled in Wormwood Scrubs and it was an old, 
was an old, old prison. It was dirty. And there's a few things we'd kick. I remember a big African blokes climbed over a railing and there, and there's nets in Wormwood scrubs. And, but there's gaps like me to you with the net to the stairs and this African guy, and he was massive and he knew what he was doing. He's jumped off to, to jump down it. And this woman prison officer had his ankle and she was screaming for people to help. And I quickly noticed prisoners weren't helping her. So I thought, I'm not helping her. But outside, I guarantee you, outside, anybody would go and help someone in that situation. But I just thought, why are no prisoners helping her? So I just stayed back and she's holding on to this bloke. And uh, I can't remember if he slipped and he did hit the floor. I think we might, anyway, I know they might have dragged him in, but I've, I've yeah, they might have dragged him in, but I've, I remember seeing her holding him thinking, she ain't, she's no way going to hold him. He looked like the best part of 18 Stone. But imagine that, head butting the floor. And it, and, and Wormwood Scrubs, that has got four, I think four landings it had. And it's, it's, a, it's a high prison, that one. So yeah, I was in there, quite, say comfortable. Are you ever comfortable, Sean, in a prison? You make the most of it, don't yeah, you? Yeah, I'm. I'm quite. I, I like to have a laugh. So, I, I, you know, as much as even old people, you know, if we spoke to our grandparents, even in the war, they probably had a laugh at some point. And there's that dark humour. I think you you get in prison, and I think the army, the military, have got that dark humour. And uh, I'm reading out the. I've got a little job now, so people come in for dinner, and I'd say, "Oh, Sean, that were vegetarian and Frank and, and things like that." And I'd and and I'd sort of had competitions with myself, so I was I'm not uh, fucking else. And he said I was enjoying it, but I was sort of cosy. I was comfortable, and then the shit hit the fan again. Then in Wormwood Scrubs, it's so uh, I uh, was uh, so how's it start? So yeah, so that was it. So I get told I'm going to Leicester for pleas and deeds, and I'm ringing my brief, thinking I don't want to go to fucking Leicester. And he's like, no, Frank, it's pleasing deeds. You haven't got to go. And this Mr. Johnson, I think his name is Mr. Johnson. It was a screw from Wormwood Scrubs. He was, he was a hard nut to crack. But when you crack him, he was an all right bloke. Had good, really good sense, really dry sense of humour. I was doing a piss test once. And he, um, and I'm doing it. And I'm like, Gov, I can't go. I can't go. He says, you can go, Stedman. I'm like, Gov, honestly, I can't go. And he sent me to get a glass of water, come back. Gov, I really can't go. And he shouted. <laughs> it's not as if he's got far to fucking go, Stedman. Just go. <laughs> and it really made me chuckle. And uh, So he had that sense of humour. So he comes and calls me and says, Stedman, um, you're going. You're going to court. And I'm like, all right, fair enough. He said, the warrant's been thing. You're going. So you think, right, I pack my stuff up and then I'm going down to court, Wormwood Scrubs, going down, go for all the reception and getting released out of reception and onto, onto a van and they do a few drops. And I think I was like Milton Keynes way and I get told, they shouted, oh, Stedman, you got your wish, you're going back to Wormwood Scrubs. And I actually was thinking, yes, go back to Wormwood Scrubs, get back into reception and that, that, that prison officer is still there. And I think to myself, all right. And I said, oh, Gov, I told you I, I, I didn't have to go. Not being a smart aleck, but I was just like, I, I had a bit of a jokey thing with him. He used to be one of them, get behind your door sort of thing. And he didn't even look at me. Didn't say nothing. And I thought, that's weird. Because he normally said, fuck off, Stedman, or something like that. So I'm walking back, got back. And I still remember it. It's 20 minutes left of, of Soch. So I've got back and I thought, sweet. So I've gone to sit outside and I'm sitting on the yard with a two older bloke. I always got on with older like mates blokes so i'm sitting there and i'm in the yard and the sun's on my face and i think yeah and i'm nice and i'm sitting there chatting to him thank god i didn't have to go and i've heard the shout stedman again 
I've looked and it was the SO. And my mate said, what the fuck does the SO want? Which is a senior officer on the wing. You, you hardly ever speak to the SO. If you've got a problem, you try and speak to him. But So I've got up and I said, oh, what's the matter, Gov? And he's gone, oh, you've got a visit. And I thought, I spoke to my brief yesterday. He said he's not coming. So I thought, I don't know what this is. And as I'm walking down, I said, oh, what is it, Gov? And he said, I don't know. I said, what, like, what, who's the visit? He's going, I don't know. I'm thinking, this is weird. He's ignored me. Now this screw. And he wasn't the happiest kinds of prison officer, but he wasn't even telling me where I was going. So we've gone down and we've gone down to the visiting room. And uh, I realised he took me into the legal visit bit. So sort of they're, they're, they're separated. They're like little rooms in, in Wormwood Scrubs. And as I've gone, I've looked and I've saw my brother Liam there. And it wasn't visiting day and I just, I just had an inkling. Something happened outside with, with someone dying, which used to, who, who was involved with my older brother. And, uh, they've opened the door. My, and my older brother, my brother Liam looked at me and I could tell by his face something bad's happened. I said straight away, I said, Kane's died, didn't he? And that, and my brother said, yeah. So we've, uh, like both got upset and, uh, we're sitting down in the, um, it, we're in the legal visit bit and I, 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 he was young. He liked to drink and things. And, I, you know, in my head, I'm thinking, has, has he died? And then my brother's told me he um, committed suicide. And I'm, I, I sort of got the ump and banged the tables. And uh, the woman, like prison officer from visits, has come in with a high vis. And she said, oh, uh, uh, can you put this on, please? Because I used to put like a tag on you. And I was like, what for? And she's gone, oh, you two look so alike. We was just saying, we're, we, we're not sure, we wasn't sure which one was the prisoner. So it sort of lightened the mood and we sort of calmed down and then we, you know, sat there and chatted for a little while about it. And uh, yeah, that was, the sh- that was that shit. And I was, I was in prison like a month, I think. And, it, and, you know, I went back, went back to the wing Caught a glimpse of my mate who got quite pally with who was a listener, which in, in prison, it's other prisoners become like a bit of a counsellor. And he looked at me and I could tell he knew. And I said, all right. And he's gone, yeah, yeah, you're all right. He said, um, because he was my mate and he was a listener, I think the governor, the governor told him. And he said, I'll come and get you later for a cup of tea and come out when we're banged up. So he come and got me for, yeah, and that, that was shit. I remember waking up the next morning with a, uh, do you know that split second? You think, right, what am I going to do? Tonight? And it dawns back on you what's happened. But the weirdest, I don't know, are you spiritual, Sean? Yes. The weirdest, weirdest thing, and I still laugh about it. My cellmate at the time, mannerisms, acted, even his feet stunk the same as my brother who died. And I was in the cell with him for two weeks. And when my brother died... He got moved to another wing in the prison. Steve Church, his name is. He got moved to another wing in the prison and he even looked like him a little bit. And I never saw him again. And I think, was that two weeks with him? My two weeks with my brother? Because it, it, it was, I'm honest, I used to sit there and think to myself, fuck me, you are so much like my older brother. Mm. And the last time I saw my older brother was in a, in a visit in Wormwood Scrubs. And he, he done a little bit. We're joking about canteen and that because of he's done. He done, I think, thirty days for driving a fence years ago. But yeah, that that was shit. So were you in a depression for a bit? Do you know what? I, I'm quite good at not being depressed or not showing it. But I remember thinking, "Fuck!" But you I, you go a bit numb in there. You you think to yourself, "I can't." 
I can't deal with that right now. I've got to deal with being in prison. So I maybe I'll probably not deal with it up to, to now. I don't know. But yeah, so uh And your case was ongoing at this point. Yeah, yeah. Well I was on remand for like eight months. So I didn't know what was gonna happen. Didn't know whether I was gonna get out and not go to prison, like get sentenced and I didn't you know, deep down I knew I'd done something wrong. We all know when we overstep that mark. We overstep you can't sit here blaming a child, a trauma, all that. I, I know things don't help, but everyone knows when I overstep that mark committing crime. They just know that. And whether you think about it and then forget about it, but you know, like, and you know, and this is the, this is the thing. A normal kid can, can end up in like shit in the, and you, this is, you know, you commit crime. These are the prices you pay. So I've put in for my brother to go to my brother's funeral and got cut and then got put in segregation. All right, so um, why did they cut AU? So they said the funds in my case, or the money in my case, will give you funds to break out. And I was in a Category B prison at the time, which is where my scrubs. And I'm like, where well, I'm new to it, they come and told me, but it's all like, it's all done properly. Like they told me to get to, well, I got a job back up the first night sending that with the bloke, who the nice bloke. And, um, He's done the rounds, years in segregation, he knew it. And I, so they've come up, said, Stedman, get, get back in your cell, stand to the back of your cell, get on your knees, put your hands behind your back. And I'm thinking, what the fuck? But security used to come up now and again to the first night centre because they'd get wing, they'd get inkling that someone's brought sank in. So it was, it was regular. But when they come up and called me, so they've, they've, they've told me and I've gone into the cell to clear my stuff up. And this guy who's been in prison for years, he said, do you know what? When you was explaining your case to me, I was surprised that you was in this prison. And they told me I slipped the net. Whether, like you say, being nice and that, they don't look into it. I don't know. I was just, mm-hmm. when I got cut funny enough, I got, went into Belmarsh and they've come in and gone, Stephen, I've walked in and he's looked at my thing and looked at me, looked at my thing and said, Fuck me, you ain't like the ones we get in here normally. And I didn't have a clue. I just thought you meant prisoners because the prisoner before me was kicking off when you're getting processed. But yeah, so I've, I've put in, I put in to go to my brother's funeral. My family bought a suit up and everything. And uh, they looked into letting me go to my brother's funeral. And that's how I got cut They said, we, you, you know, we're really sorry, but blah, blah, blah. But they never, they never told me I was getting cut. They never told me I wasn't going to go to my brother's funeral because of, I think they didn't want me to kick off. So they put me in segregation. So I was in segregation for 10 days, you know, over my birthday, dealing with my brother's funeral, like my brother's death and all that. And, uh, and I don't know whether it helped or not. I don't know. It probably didn't. I was sitting in that cell with no telly, no nothing, no no book, no nothing. And the only good thing was the bloke next to me used to used to shout out, waiter, waiter, to the prison officer. And the prison officer would come up, stop fucking calling me waiter and slam the thing. So, <laughs> them, so in them dark moments, there's a bit of light. Do you know what I mean? But it was done... I wasn't, I was, I was put in the shower, locked in the shower. It was really treated. And they, they tried to persuade me not to have visits, but it was my birthday and my mum and my auntie was coming up. And this just happened with my brother. And, you know, I'm close with my mum and I'm like, no, I, I, I sort of said, no, I don't want to not have visits. So they had to shut. When they, when they took me from the first night center, they shut the whole wing that I've been on for a month. And I went down and there was a fucking avenue of prison officers. You know, you, you still step back and like that body experience, you think, really? Because I know deep down, I'm not going to kick off. 
I'm not some sort of lunatic ardent prick, but I know all that is there for people that need that. You know, you're hearing these people breaking out of prisons on the football pitch with a helicopter. So I, I understand why it's there. I'm walking through and there's an avenue of screws. And I remember the screw that I knew from the bottom wing. And they're like, I thought he was all right. I said, so did I. And I'm walking down. I'm in segregation. And, uh, and I always remember when they come and got me and said, right, good news and bad news. The, the governor's come and telling me, well, you might go to your brother's funeral or you might not, blah, blah, blah. Looking back now, being a, an adult who's been through all this, I, I, sh- I, w- I should have known I weren't getting it. But it's always, I don't know whether I've always had that hope. That's probably maybe I didn't steep into depression. And, uh, but, I, I, you know, I probably was depressed and such, you know, laying there staring at the ceiling for 20 like these laughs which i'm sure you'd agree with these laughs you have been you have in prison are for what 10 minutes of a 24-hour day sean you have one laugh and then you go back to surviving yes and i think i was very numb i think with my brother's um death i think i had to be and where i was put in segregation this and I, i don't remember thinking it but i remember thinking you know, this is going to make you or break you. I said, don't let it break you. Keep going, sort of thing. Just keep going. Wake up in the morning. It's all you've got to do, wake up in the morning. So I, I'm, you know, I'm trying to tell myself that and I'm, I'm doing it. And they come and got me from, screws open the door and he said, uh, good news or bad news? I'm thinking, oh, this is good. I said, well, give me the bad news. He said, you're going Belmarsh. And I've heard a few stories about Belmarsh. I think, shit. And then I remember saying, it's the good news. I'm going to my brother's funeral. And the, and the screw laughed. And I was like, I still remember thinking, you are so. And it sort of gives you a bit of fire in your belly now. But I, 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 I understand I put myself there committing crime. And I knew what I was doing. I put myself there. But he's laughed. I said, no, you get to watch England play football tonight. And so that was the 12th of August. So I, I got put in segregation on the 2nd. Yeah, and I've done 10 days. And I got out on the 12th of August and then got taken when they took me out of segregation. At... How they design these things, I don't know. There was a van at the door of segregation. So it's come in the prison. And segregation's like in the middle of the prison in Wormwood Scrubs. And uh, I stepped out of the door of segregation. And my next, my actual next step was on the van. I tried to glimpse the sky sort of thing. And it was that much. And I thought, I remember thinking then, why have they got a van? And it was a cat A van, but it wasn't a prison van. It was a cat A van, like an escorty one. You're in the middle of that, but it's glass. And I'm looking at going through Oxford Street and I'm looking at that thinking, Jesus Christ, this is the world again. So yeah, and then I went to Belmarsh. Was it like entering Belmarsh? The process is the same for me, but, uh, you know, walking into Belmarsh and I come in, I remember coming in, it was lunch and everyone queues up in the middle and they're all looking at you and the server is looking at you. And I'm, oh, I'm not joking. I was, I'm not big now, but I was probably eight stone. And I knew in prison that the stories you hear and you think, fuck, I'm in Belmarsh. Was it a different league of prisoners? Yeah, because I got put onto a little bit of a cat A wing. But cat A, the more serious the crime, I think the more serious the man gets. So if you're all right and you're decent, you, they, they sort of not take you under their wing, but there was two brothers in Belmarsh that took me under their wing. And I owe a lot to them because they give me a crash course in prison. They was telling me constantly, telling me blah, 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 blah. And they was known in the criminal fraternity as such. But uh, yeah, I got onto this cat A wing. But Belmarsh, every time the door opens, something happens. Kicks off every time. Describe the first thing that happened. Um, I, don't, I can't remember it 
chronologically sort of thing, but I remember seeing a screw push another prison into another screw and they beat the shit out of him. But the worst one was, so you'd feel the pressure all the time. There'd be pressure, pressure, pressure. Alarm would go off. They'd shut the cell. Alarm would go off. And uh, the so yeah, so in the middle there was there was a, a big a big like African guy, and he looked like a strong African guy, but he was he was like couldn't speak a word of English, really really hard at African um, accent. He taped his hands up. I found out afterwards, and put all his paperwork. Um, do you know not staple? Yeah, they staple clips go over the paper. Do you know the fit? And he's put them on his hands, and this screw was supposedly bullying him. And this screw was, he was hard, he was hard work. He was bullying him, bullying, bullying him. And in the middle, in Belmars, it's like Spurs off of like a central hub thing. He's hit him, and it's kicked off. And the Who's screws, hit who? The prisoners hit the screw after them getting face to face. And he's got on top of the screw and bit his cheek off. Bit his cheek. And this geezer. And if this was outside, Sean, maybe, yeah, this is what you should do. But all the screws started kicking him, like like literally punching him, kicking him off. Do you know, like if a, if a dog's bit you, no one can get it off. He, he was volleying this bloke, the prisoner, and he uh, he got dragged off, blah, blah, blah. And I remember the pressure, everyone behind me, look what they're fucking doing. I'm like, they're fucking booting him in the head. Got back to my cell after being banged up. A couple of minutes later, my cell's open. I thought, what? I'm not joking. The really quiet young prison officer, who was really quiet, was standing there. Four screws behind him. What did you see earlier, Steadman? I went, nothing. But the good thing with, uh, with Kat, are you in a single cell? That is a good thing. And uh, for me, the way I looked and the way I acted, I don't, I, I never, I don't act because I can't fight and all that I don't act like that and I think people would see through it if you did anyway with a big A plastered on your door I think as much as like it fucks you up for visits and it stopped me going to see my brother's funeral and then things are horrific it sort of helped me out every day because people see that A on your door and they think ooh think it a little bit like and then they get to know you why are you okay and it literally the money in i was a tiny part of this case but the money in my case they said you, you had funds to break out so whether it did help me out or not street cred yeah maybe but it was not um not earned street cred it was just a thing whacked on your door but it was just uh i think that thinking and the bright side of it that helped me out and sometimes when you're mal-mannered and you're playing it down, or if you're mal-mannered, they think there's something really big, but you're playing it down. Well, I was just honest. I just said, I, I, <laughs> well, they probably thought, there's yeah, some, I just, just dropped a bag. It down. There's yeah, maybe. Really yeah. Big. I just would say I dropped yeah. a bag of money off in a big drugs case. Yeah, and they're like, oh fuck off, you've got a cow in your door. <laughs> and you think, that. yeah, you can, yeah, thinking that, yeah. <laughs> but I tend to have always got on with older, older prisoners <laughs> who are in for like serious, like, like serious armed robbers and I just always got on with them and it's not so much me wanting to I think birds of a feather do flock together in prison Sean do you not think you know you tend to you tend to get with people that are like you like from, you from the same area yeah it's, it's same area like, or same sort of background I don't know I just think so who did you relate to initially when you arrived at Belmarsh who did you click up with no one, so I was, I was processed on my own and put into, and then, do you know when you're queuing up for the phone, and then you, you get chatting in the queue, 
And then the two brothers, one bloke said, oh, all right, mate, where are you from? And I said, oh, I'm from Essex. When oh, I know Essex and he was from um, Canning Town, got chatting. Because I think people probably would want to talk to you because they want to know why you're an ACAT and you look like a fucking pussycat. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I got chatting and it was the two brothers. And then I went in for a cup of tea and I explained to him, you know, my case. And I was asking him advice, really, because I... I, I was getting paperwork, didn't know this, and they was helping me. And one of them was really articulate. He bought out books and things like that, and he was help. And they really did help me out. And uh, sadly, like his brother got off, and he didn't. And it was his case was so fucked up. It was like these blokes. It, this guy was a criminal years ago, and it just seemed like they had it in for him, the police. And they just anyway, it, it's so sad. He got IPP and everything, and he's like, he, he was like fifty odd when I met him. But they really helped me out. Yeah. What was your routine at Belmarsh? It was literally um, breakfast. And I got a cleaning job, which that was good because you're out your cell all day. Do a bit of cleaning. But the prison officers in Belmarsh don't want to be your mates. I'm not saying any of them want to be your mates, but I'd done quite a long stint in Loudon Grange. And they had their first names on there. And they had... Um, they were just like a bit nice, not nicer, but they, they, you know, cause you're living together. I think we've, I can understand Belmarsh. It was a high tense, like pressure place and they don't want to be your mate. They just want to get on with their job. And I remember a woman prison officer, I've shouted over to my mate. Can you, uh, pass? I suppose I should have been me being a bit gobby. I've shouted over to my mate. Can you send the paper over? Hey mate, can you send the paper over after? Cause you'd share it. And she went, um, shouting across there, you sound like a queer. And I was like, fucking all right. And I've gone off and the newspaper, I've got her back. So I'm queuing up for the phone and the two prison officers are sitting there because they used to sit on like a desk at the end of the wing. And she's gone, here, Steadman, can I uh, have that newspaper? I said, it's the mirror, miss, don't crack it. And the other prison officers have laughed. And as I said it, I said it like jokingly, but I thought, shit, I shouldn't have had the joke with the prison screw. She's got, I'm going to fucking nick you. And the two other prison officers are pissing themselves. They said, don't worry, Stedman, if we're unnick you. And they were going on about it for days and they was winding her up. But she was, do you know, one of these prison, do you know, like uh, some women screws, you think, oh, don't mind her wrapping me up. She's the one you don't want wrapping you up. She'd pop your head off. But um, yeah, and I thought, shit, what have I done here? I could have had a laugh with it and I was screwed about that. Were the cell searches more in, invasive? You get cell search once a week and you get DST, which is security, come in and they're the ones send the dogs in, let in and dogs jump up on you and the dog jumps on your bed and you're fast asleep. So I think after Belmarsh, that's when the, the sleeping slowed down. I was, you know, I was always up, always up before the screws opened my door. I don't know why. I just felt like I had to be always sitting at my thing. I remember one, uh, it was winter and it was really dark and the screw opened my door and he said Stedman you're the only one who's out of bed because it was really foggy and I, I just thought I want to be dressed tidy sitting in my chair for when they open the door I don't know why still to this day but I just yeah going back to my routine it was literally get up breakfast uh, do a bit of cleaning and get banged up and then use the phone when you're doing the cleaning which they, they let you do did you work out? no I didn't throughout my whole remand because um, in coming off of a visit, one of my co-defendants who who got not guilty. Hope you're enjoying this podcast. There's a word from our sponsor, Rocket Money. The other day, I had to cancel free Amazon Prime memberships. I had a personal on the UK Amazon, US Amazon company account, US Amazon, UK Amazon. 
do you understand how hard it is to cancel these bloody things? That's why Rocket Money makes these things so much easier, formerly known as Truebill. The app shows all your subscriptions in one place and cancels what you don't want for you. Rocket Money can even find subscriptions you didn't know you were paying for. Just like with me, with my four Amazon Prime memberships, you may find out you've been at least double charged for a subscription. To cancel a subscription, all you've got to do is press cancel and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Get rid of useless subscriptions with Rocket Money now. Go to rocketmoney.com forward slash Sean, S-H-A-U-N. Seriously, it could save you hundreds per year. That's rocketmoney.com forward slash Sean, S-H-A-U-N. Thank you for supporting our sponsor, Rocket Money. Links in the description box. Cheers. I said, like, he, I said, oh, like, what you doing? Blah, blah. I got pelly with him and all that. And uh, we didn't know each other. Nobody knew each other in that whole case. Nobody knew each other. It was so weird. And I said, oh, blah, blah, blah. He went, I'm fucking going to tell him. And what? He went, I'm going to tell him. This bloke got me involved. Blah. And I was like, what? I said, you, you've read the paperwork. You, you know what we're involved in, don't you? And he was probably a bit like me. I think he, I think he drove a car on the day the drugs were getting picked up, but it wasn't a massive part of it. I was like, are you fucking mad? And I, straight away, I'm one of them. Like, you can stab me, but don't stab my family. Like, I, I'd think, you're not worried about your family. And he's like, no, bollocks. I'm not fucking spending years in prison for these cars. And I was like, you're fucking mad. They'll do something to you. Well, yeah, I shouldn't have said that because he went back to the prison and said, uh, Frank's just threatened me in visits. Oh, what a POS. And I said, are you fucking kidding me? And the people, the screws on the wing said, let me tell you, he would not threaten him. But because it was to security, security don't know me, that was it. So I wasn't allowed to go library. So I was on the wing with cleaning job and I was allowed to go visits. And I was, and I, was, I remember six, he was on the wing. I remember saying, oh, come on, mate. Fucking hell. He's gone, no, no, no. And later, later I realised he used it in his case. That's why. He said he was being threatened in prison and all that in his case, and he got off. He got of, off? Yeah, he got off, yeah. Two of them got off to go pick the drugs up. Oh, he got off. I don't know, but the guy who picked the drugs up, he got off saying he got put under duress, which is, he said, I got put under duress by a young athletic lad with massive blonde hair. And there's two Columbia, there's a Colombian bloke, a big massive bloke, and there's me, little skinny kid with massive blonde hair, and I'm thinking, fucking hell, mate. But yeah, so... Uh, I'm curious about your asleep... First time dog jumps on your bum. Shit myself. What kind of a dog was it? The sniffer dog. So it's a span which uh, we've got a spaniel now sleeps with us. So I love dogs, but it come in and it just shocks you out of your sleep. Spaniel jumps on you, and you think fuck, and then you open your eyes and there's geezers dressed in black, and they thought that was SASM, didn't they? Really wanted to be goon so squad. We call yeah, them. yeah, yeah. So uh, they've. Uh, and I remember that happening and, and I remember dreaming about it. And I just think, I'm not getting caught out by that again. Because they'd let the dog in Bosch and the dog would be on you. And it's scared to shit out of you, like originally. But then you, it's amazing what your body gets used to. There's a point in my prison sentence that I could, I don't know whether you'd agree about this. In Loudon Grange, where I spent a long time, I could tell what night screw was on because of the way his footsteps were. I'd go, oh, Jimmy's on tonight because his footsteps were different and the key would go. And that's weird. You become like, attuned to everything. Yeah, and I think it's like blind people, you know, they it, that something else comes. So, yeah, but you get used to them things, don't you? Which you shouldn't really, but... Was your case resolved while you were at Belmarsh? No, we got moved. I got moved from Belmarsh uh, when our case... Because our case was in Leicester. 
And my brief seems to think they've done it out of Leicester, so it wasn't in the area. Because if, if a crime happens in your area, a friend of a friend can drive past say, I've just seen a load of police in blah, blah, blah. So I don't, this is what my brief says. So they've done it in Leicester. So we got moved from Belmarsh to Woodhill, but we got put in the unit then. So it's a prison within a prison. So we was in, I was in, me and my co-Ds were in 6B and there was, do you remember the, the Hells Angels outlaws shot each other on the motorway driving? That, there were two of them was in there. Two guys were in there who was um, on remand for like a serious robbery where someone got shot and killed. Like, And there was another guy who was, um, I think his name was Leon. I don't know, but I got on with him. He was from our area, funny enough, Dan, London. And he was um, just like against authority. He was like, I, I can't imagine, I think his crime was pretty bad, but not to put him in there. But he was a serious uh, like misbehaviour. And then the guy come in, mad, there was a guy in another bit of the unit, because there was, there was three of them. And do you remember the guy chopped a body up, said he'd done it for, like, the crime family? Like, it was a right weird story. He was doing a cookery course in the kitchen. And do you know, you think, really? And because of, um, and so, yeah, we was put in... We was on remand. So when you're on remand, you could, they don't really let you do long courses and things like that because they don't know what's going to happen. So I just tried to do a bit of education. And, uh, but in, I was allowed to start allowed to go gym in Woodhill. But when you go to the gym, this was another thing where I think the ACAT status bollocks. So I've gone in and you have to give your card to the prison officer. So I've given my card to, I said, here, Gov, I've got to give you this. He's like, what? I said, I've got to give you my card. Why? And he's grabbed it and gone, Oh, fuck. So when you come, when you're in the unit in Woodhill, you get moved with dogs to a gate and then the dogs, the bloke with the dog leaves you at the gate and then you go into the main prison. And I was there when they brought that, um, was it Baby P? Who's the, who's, oh, the real bad case years and years ago. Uh, the young kid got killed by the two. They brought him in in a car and drove him through the prison to the first night centre. And that was like that was big deal in our prison. We was like, what the fuck? They shut the whole prison down. Were people trying to get him? Yeah, he was the famous, the f- not famous, the most, the worst kid. Uh, Bulger. Yeah, that's it. Them, two, one of them two, come in there, and he was put in in a in a cell in the first night centre, and they drove him in. Like I remember seeing it out the window. There were cars come flying in, but yeah, so it's put in a prison within a prison, and and that's when you're with. There was like a bit of a mad geezer in there and he he said i'm i've been on remand four and a half years and all it was just for a bit of fireworks and i'm like what and then i've asked a a, a bloke who's been in there for a while and he's like he, he was caught with fucking bombs and there was another bloke in there who was a policeman and he was in prison and he got caught up in this case, which is like 1,500 kilos, a boat sunk off of England. And every time gear washes up, he got recharged. But he was a policeman and an undercover policeman, and he became a criminal, yeah. pretty much. And I've, I think that's quite, I think that happens quite a lot, doesn't it? It really? does, yeah. Customs. I think it's the money. We had uh, Andrew Pritchard on. He had a whole yeah. customs team working for him. Yeah. Mental, isn't it? What people do for money. Well, there's so much money in drugs, it corrupts members of every profession. Yeah. And I think every kind of people as well people that maybe you'd never believe it or wouldn't you know wouldn't do it i've you know i probably misbehaved and i was maybe a little bit too naughty at school but playing the class clown but i wasn't 
one of them kids you think, oh, he's going to do something really bad. So at this new prison then with these high profile guys, is your routine the same? No, because I'd get up in the morning, I'd run because there was a little, there was a little bit of an exercise thing on in that. I never went on, um, never went out to uh, exercise in that because there was cages as big as this room, and it was four cages, and I thought I'm not walking around in that fucking cage. And there was a roof on it, and it was dark, and it was a little bit like um, there was a little bit of a. <laughs> Um, like tatted understand a little bit of an unwritten rule like don't go and exercise don't be a mug and go and walk around that little bit do you know what you think I, I quickly got that so I would go I, I would go for a run in the mornings before breakfast and then have breakfast and then we was allowed out all day it's weird that in the more secure things you're allowed out more so we're allowed out all day mingling playing pool and then I'd go gym and then uh yeah come back and I, I, I could play football in there but I could only play football inside I wasn't allowed to play football Cat A's weren't allowed to play football outside but I was saying Cat A they reckon when you're on remand you're like potential you're pot A I was Cat A'd but you're only pot A people would say you're only pot A you're not Cat A's when you get when you get two of my co-D's got convicted and they was Cat A after being convicted but it's still my visitors that, that was a pain in the arse in Belmarsh my visitors so you, you write to the governor the governor sends off to the um, the governor sends off to the to the government, and then they send off to your local police, and then the local police go around and have a visit and interview with your visitor, and then they send it all back through. So my kids, luckily, my dad got um, like cleared quite quickly, and then my mum and my sister got cleared, and I haven't seen them since before my brother's death. So this was Christmas now. Christmas visit. My mum, my sister's coming up a week before Christmas. They've allowed me to book the visit. I've booked the visit. Everything's okay. And they've got to the gate and I'm sitting in the visiting hall now. And um, they've said that something's wrong with the visits. They can't come in. And I was like, you're kidding me. And then my mate sitting next to me, he was on my wing. He's gone, is your mum and sister looks similar and they've got fair air. Like, and I said, yeah, he said they're out there crying because his missus told him. I said, why? I said, they're not letting them in. And I wasn't a pain in the ass prisoner, but I put my hand up in Belmarsh, can't even get it. So I put my hand up and they've come over. I said, uh, can you find out if my visitors are turning up? I said, well, no, the gates are shut. I said, yeah, but can you find out if they're not turning up? And I'm starting to get the um. And then uh, I got up then and walked to the main hub thing and they've gone to like, not wrap me up. They've come over to me. I said, take me back to my fucking cell. I said, I'm not like, I'm not being an arsehole. I said, but I haven't seen my family. I quickly told them like my brother died like months ago I've not seen my family and you've just stopped them a visit which where it's, it's been cleared you actually cleared the visit and they said it was something wrong with the paperwork I don't think the prison are fucking with you but you know so yeah going back to Belmarsh but yeah and then Woodhill was but Woodhill was uh, it was a cleaner prison because you got uh, uh, Wormwood Scrubs really old really dirty and then you've got um, Belmarsh was just high pressure and then Woodhill was quite it just seemed a bit um, we went to the gym once and the Leicester rugby team come in and there was a massive geezer in the gym and he was fucking massive out and he was, he was like, I think he thought it was a bit hard. And one of the Leicester, I think he plays for England there, one of the Leicester rugby players, they're doing drills and he's fucking run at this Leicester rugby player with, with the thing and like, only like for training and the Leicester rugby player shrugged him off like a little baby. It's obviously a technique to it, but he's fucking shrugged him. This geezer's gone flying. Do you know you think, Corey's ego, but he's one of them blokes, you know, everyone's like, <laughs> don't want to laugh out loud because he might fucking beat you up but 
yeah, I started playing football in there and that was quite good. I started getting a bit more of a physical routine. But in um, Belmarsh and Wormer Scrubs, it was pretty much just dealing with every day. Was it this one you got sentenced? We got sentenced in Wormwood Scrubs. That's when I pleaded guilty, so I didn't go to court, but they were going back as fours to court. And you know what they do with it is propaganda, in it? They've been doing it hundreds of years. They cut you, so there's fucking people at court with guns and God knows what else. And then three of us got convicted. I pleaded guilty, two got convicted, and we got taken to court in all the gear. And that was when you get the, the proper strip searches when you're cut. You get strip searching to sell and all that in Belmarsh. But, um, yeah, and then uh, we come back on the tannoy, and I remember the lad tannoy coming back from court, and um, they no, this was sentencing actually. They said, "How long did they get?" That's all they said over the tannoy. How long did they get? And I was sitting there thinking, "Fucking hell!" But yeah, my codees, they got guilty two of them. And then, did their uh, sentences come in before yours? No, we all got sent at the same time. But they when got, were you watching like the twenty-eight years come in? Twenty-eight years. Yeah, sorry, there's. Did, did you yeah. think you were going to? So my get... brief said to me, "You're going to get about fifteen, sixteen. And so I'm getting that in my head, thinking, "Right, fucking, that's a long time." I'm working out how old my kids are going to be. But by then, I've been in prison months, and I've, I've, I quickly accepted I was going to be in prison a long time. When I was in Wormwood Scrubs, we was all in this like new prisoner meeting, and they said, "How long are you looking at?" And in Wormwood Scrubs, it's a little. Like a local, so you get oh, a couple of years, couple of years, and they say, how long are you looking? I said, I'm hoping for a 10, but I'm probably going to get more. And everyone's like, really? Like, I, I don't know, but I was just like hoping for that amount. And then my brief said to me, you're going to get around to 15. But And I was thinking, right, fuck. And I remember uh, my co-D's family wasn't there in sentencing. It was probably there for the verdict, but they didn't want to go for sentencing. It's like a kick in the teeth, in it. So uh, I remember my family were there and I remember me, mum, like, wouldn't even look at me, crying her eyes out. And then they've gone for 28 years, 20 years. And, you know, I remember looking at the glass and I'm breathing on the glass. And I remember going dizzy a little bit. I remember looking, thinking, fuck. And, you know, you get a little bit like, mm. yeah. I'm thinking, I'm, thinking I'm getting 18 here. That's what I'm thinking. I'm, and, you know, you're quickly thinking, blah, blah, blah. You know, oh, Jesus Christ. And the woman's next to me. And then... um. When my mitigation happened and they spoke about my brother and me not being allowed to go to his funeral and then my family not coming up on a visit. And I'm not asking for sympathy because this is what happens if you fuck around with crime. You know, don't affect you, it affects your family. And we paid the ultimate price of me not going to my brother's funeral. And uh, he, so when they done that, he scrubbed something out. And then he writ something down. And even the woman that I was handcuffed to on the way here, she went, I reckon... He scrubbed out maybe 11 and give you nine or 10 and give you nine. So, yeah, I've got nine years for, which is, in the grand scale of things, I've, I got lucky. I was in the I was in the little room after, I think, yes, thank God. And then, But then that causes arguments. My codies, I don't know, how the fuck have you got nine years? And I'm like, I dropped a bag of money off. You've been put as main conspirator on a 300 kilo and I've dropped, and we like rad about it. But where you don't know each other, it, that is... Not to commit crime, but it, committing crime, and then there's committing crime with people you don't know. Like, it was so, everyone holds their cards close to their chest, everyone's fucking paranoid. And you're like, you, you can't ask each other, oh, what are you going to say? What are you going to say? Cause you just don't know. It's so weird. And where I was new to it, I didn't want to say too much to anybody because I just thought, uh, I'm going to accidentally drop myself in the shit. And I said that to my brief, and he said, just plead guilty straight away, and you ain't got to say nothing. And I thought, brilliant. 
you know, no comment all the way in the, because my brain said you convict yourself in the interview, 99% of people, and then the pleaded non guilty. And that was a massive weight on my shoulders because me standing in the dock with someone cross examining me and all that, I would have been like, what the fuck? I wouldn't know what to say. And your family watching you and all that. It's just, you don't want to be your family remembering shit that. So I just, yeah. And then, yeah, we got sentenced then. And then I sort of thought, right, that's it. I've been in nearly a year. I've got a few years left. I'm in Woodhill. And I'm, and I'm, so they moved me from 6B onto a normal wing of Woodhill. I think maybe because I pleaded guilty, they didn't want me talking to my codies. Or it was something to do with this, um, me threatening to kill that codie again. They told me it was they've moved me because of um, me threatening my codie earlier on and it's they've read that and they moved me on to like main society but in a in a cell with cat a on your door again but in Woodhill it's quite local people are knocking on your door why are you cat a mate i'm like fucking hell i don't know but um yeah so but Woodhill uh was all right started getting a bit more of a you know a bit more of a routine in physical training than that was it belmarsh where you met one of the essex boys the Essex boys. No, in Loudon Grange is uh, one of the Tates. One of his brothers was in there, and he was a really nice, quiet bloke. Russell, his name was really nice, quiet bloke. And I got on just chatting with him, not like become friends, but just chatting. And you know, you think to yourself, what you see on TV and what you see is not. He was just a nice, normal bloke. Don't did know you, what did you ask him what he thought had happened? No, no, wouldn't ask that. Didn't know him that well. I wouldn't have asked him that if I knew him. To be honest, I'm. Very much uh, speak when spoken to. I remember we in Loudon Grange was at the table and a young lad said something a bit stupid and I was like, don't speak at the table, mate. I remember saying it to him, don't it's speak. It's so easy to make a mistake, We're isn't sitting it? there and there's a guy, there's an old bloke from Ever- Everton and his, his codees were um, in Panama and the drugs that were shipped in a container, they needed the same container to bring the money back. And then there's another like London bloke who got arrested and they found millions of pounds. And I'm like, don't talk shit at the table. Like, but these were like my little family then because we was in Loudon Grange. We was in there for a long time. I'm good mate Tom and Joe and Cav. We had, this is where I probably had, I wouldn't say the funniest time, but I was really settled and I started having a laugh and started, started being a bit more like myself instead of thinking, shit, I can relax now. I know when I'm getting out. Once you know when you're getting out, it's just... Yeah, even if it's a bit of paper and it's fucking, what is it, 5,000 blood. You just think, I'm getting out. Your whole psychology changes, doesn't it? Yeah, there's nothing to stop you. And I never did... I never... Maybe the days with my brother and in segregation, that was shit. But I remember thinking, I'm never going to be as low as this. So, So there's only way now is up sort of thing. But this is, you know, this is... Price you paying it? Which part of it did you do with Charles Bronson? Oh, he was. Uh, I wasn't. I wasn't. He was. In, I was in six B in Wormwood Scrubs, and not Wormwood Scrubs in Woodhill. And he was in another. He was in the unit within a unit, but next to us. I don't know why they moved him there. I think it was maybe more secure. When did you first become aware he was there? Well, I didn't know, and then they said uh, Screws are panicking, shitting himself, and I'm like, what's going on here? I've not really seen Screws panic. Where's his T-shirt? Where's his fucking T-shirt? And the bloke who's doing the laundry is a prisoner. Oh, uh, one minute, I'll go and check. And he's come out with his big Run DMC T-shirt. I still remember it. I'm at that. And I'm like, what's the matter? What's the matter? And he's gone, fucking Bronson's next door. Straight away, and I'm thinking, I've been in prison long enough now. And I'm like, what? Charles Bronson? He said, yeah, he's next door. 
he's fucking misplaced a t-shirt and he reckons it's here and someone's nicked his t-shirt <laughs> so they're shit themselves and they've given the t-shirt got it going through and then the story comes out as well there's a young governor taken over recently i think i'm not sure so he's gone in to see bronson have a chat with him or maybe stamp his authority who knows and the young governor had glasses, tall, chest out governor, like, you know, walk past, oh, you know, one of them sort of governors. And uh, he's gone to Bronson's cell to have a chat with him. And Bronson's smacked him, punched him in the eye. I said, fuck off, Harry Potter. And it went round the prison at wildfire. Whether it was, whether it was um, a bit of a fabrication, I don't know. But the next day, the governor's standing outside like they do, and he's got a fucking massive black eye. And this, all the screws said, yeah, he, he, he uh, Bronson smacked him one. So, yeah, he's, uh, he was, I think he was in like 10 man unlock or something ridiculous. Did yeah, you get to see him? No, no, no. I don't even think the screws in the prison saw him, did they? He's in, like, he's in the deep belly of prison there, isn't he? But no, he's, uh, no, I would never have got to see him. I think he had visits there. I'd never saw him go into a visit. So there was a situation where, the sex offenders were housed. What in that was uh, so, Lincolnshire? Oh yeah, that was so. Belmarsh was the worst pressure-wise, but the stories was definitely the open prison. In so from Loudon Grange, after being in Loudon Grange for all them years, I got sent to. So they offered me. They said, "Listen, you can go to North Sea Camp, and you can go to this prison." And I still then didn't know what prison was what. Another decat. But if you go to North Sea Camp, you'll be out for your first home leave just before Christmas. And it was three days. So I'm thinking, I don't give a fuck if it's like, if I'm going to go there and be chained up for six months, I want to be out to see my kids before Christmas. And um, they, so I said, yeah, I'll go there. So I've gone back to the wing lads. I'm going North Sea Camp and a couple of the blokes have know it. They're like, mate, that is a bad place. And I'm like, what? Got there. And, um, I just, uh, there's a, a mad story of Loudon Grange. Got a fucking, my mate got in a fight just for, just the day I got my decat. Do you know, and you think, shit, I've got to help you here. Not help him. I didn't have to help him. What but, was the fight over? Uh, Russian blokes come in the servery. No, to the, we worked in the servery. And, uh, this was when I was with like the lot I got on the most with. And, uh, he's put his hand in to grab a burger. And my mate's, he's, he was a good boxer and all that. And he's gone here, mate. Don't put your hands in. We give it to you. Put your plate up there. And this Russian said, like, come to my cell afterwards. And you don't say, if he said it to me, I'd be like, I don't want to come to your cell. Just don't take the, my mate's gone. And I thought, where's he gone? He's come back in trainers. And I thought, oh, he's come back. He had his flip flops on. I thought, he's come back in trainers. Blokes come back in to get his food because it ran out. And uh, we'd all like nick an extra chicken breast, wouldn't you? If you worked on service, there'd be a couple short. And the newcomers would have to just wait another 10 minutes before they get more. And, uh, He'd come back in and mate shut the door and he's just fucking weighed him in. There was blood everywhere. And I'm picking this geezer up, wiping his head, wiping blood off the wall. And they can't fucking leave him. I'm like, I've just got my decat. So I've got him in his cell and we shut the door and the screws, if the door's shut in loud and great, screws just like lock your door. They don't look, they have a look and lock your door. And um, my mate's like, that's all happened. And then the next couple of days he's been moved off they've opened the door the next day and he's fucking black and blue the and Russian. Like, yeah and, and a couple of us are like on guard every day thinking if he kicks off on the wing and when you when on the induction wing where I stayed we was upstairs and the new people come downstairs 
And a couple of days later, out in the big big cross thing in the middle where everyone walks and the governor stands in the middle, he's come walking over and he's walking over towards our wing. And I'm thinking, why is he coming to our wing? Because our wing, there's nothing at our wing. Education's that way, the gym's that way. So I've gone round on the grass and they get off the grass and I've gone round to get round the side of him. My mate's standing in front of him. Lo and behold, he, he got lost. He forgot where he was going. But I'm thinking, shit, got just got my decal. Yeah, and he's going to do my mate. So I'm thinking, if I eat him from the side, I'm not a fighter, but like when you're in there, they become like brothers, really, don't you? And you think, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to stick up for my brothers no matter what. Not, sounds really, really stupid. They're not my brothers in there, but you're going to stick up for, but you're living with these people every day for years. And uh, thank God nothing happened. And I said to my mate afterwards, fucking hell, I got my DK yesterday and I was going to have a fight in front of the governor. And realistically, for not losing face or helping your mate, I wouldn't have seen my kids. It's just shit. The, but the things you're forced into because of the shit you do. But it's, uh, yeah. And that was, uh, but going back to North Sea Camp, man, I turned up there and it was a uh, farm. And I was brought up in Epping, which is like down the end of our road, there was just farms for the for as long as you can see. And we had Epping Forest and I was quite outdoorsy kids. And I've turned up this farm and I'm like, oh my God, this is a dream. Fresh air and it's next to the North Sea. And uh, it's hilarious. Some geezer broke out once, went the wrong way of a night and ended up helicopter getting him out of the North Sea. <laughs> what a fucking idiot. Gone out the wrong way and got caught in the mud or something. Oh. And the fucking helicopter had to come pick him out and he went straight back to clothes conditions. But... um it was brilliant, at like that where it was, and then I've gone in there, and it's the only place where you sign saying you bully any prisoners, sex offenders, blah blah blah. And I was like, shit, I've never signed one of these before. You go in and you start hearing stories, and there's and that problem, and it's the ones who committed crimes thirty years ago, like the worst of the worst. There was a bloke in there. He used to come gym, and he was quite fit looking, not a bad looking bloke, sort of like forties, fit like clean looking bloke and he used to come gym and I'm like, all right, mate, all right, mate. And things like that. And I was a gym orderly in there for, for the majority of it. I started doing working out and taking dogs for a walk. But every time you come in, you get searched. And if you're seen outside talking to someone else, you get in trouble. And I just thought, you know what? As much as I like going out, I, I just want to get my sentence done. So I, I, I asked to go back in and not go out every day and go and work in the gym. And like go that that gym changed my life like going in there. I was training every day. I got super fit doing circuits and it was, it, you forget about everything. And I got on really well with the gym officer, which I still talk to now. And, uh, so yeah, it like in there and the worst of the worst. And this guy, and I used to go home. So I was going like home leaves and I say to my kids, mum, like about keeping the kids, you say that place fucked you up. And I'm like, no, this bloke sitting opposite me who used to come to the gym. And then I found her, took a kid off a bus and don't he wrapped her up in cling film kept her in the loft for days and this bloke Sean if you walk down the street now just a normal looking bloke was she dead the kid yeah yeah after whatever oh he done God. to her and there was another bloke a stepdad locked his kids in a cupboard and I did I'm not a bully but I was behind like when we found out about this guy wrapping the kid up in I just ignored him and said like don't fucking talk to me because I was a gym orderly it was hard to not talk to people like I used to one bloke he used to make me tuna wraps, worked in the kitchen. I'd sneak him in the back door. And the gym screener I was doing it, I asked him and I was like, sneak us in. And I'd sneak him in the back door because it was all like farmland. And and he'd say, thanks. And uh, we used to joke around saying he was grooming me. He used to be squat 300 key. He got kicked out of the decap for raping his cellmate. And I was like, oh my God. And you know, you think, fuck, this geezer, 
if he got hold of me, I'd have no chance. <laughs> but so we used to joke about it, about me in a prison school. So he was definitely grooming you. He's going to invite you around for a cup of tea one day. <laughs> Imagine. Yeah. I'm a fast runner, but not when the door's shut. <sighs> and uh, so, yeah, and in that place, but it was just, you, you'd hear that a, a prisoner's raped another prisoner. I never heard that until I got to this decap. And it was on a farm. There's stories about geezers being caught shaking the animals. And oh. I know. And there's a guy who's come on your thing. He said they found condoms down there. Do you know um, Kieran? Yeah. And, uh, oh, did you bump into Kieran in uh, the system? No. Oh, yeah, I did in, in Loudon Grange. Just we a shout out to Kieran because Kieran. Yeah. He's a cool bloke. He is. Yeah. We've had Kieran on twice. Um, UK Crip in Manchester Gangland. Yeah. And yeah, check out his podcast and shout out to Kieran. Thank you for organising this with me. Yeah, fun. he's uh, got chatting to him through through a, um, the prison officer actually from the open. He was in the open prison, and I, we was chatting away, and I thought, oh, I know you. He's like, I know you. Your name, and we got chatting. We was in Loudon Grange same time, right. and I used to play football for another wing on Loudon Grange, and I, I think it was so. That's how I sort of travelled a little bit, like in Loudon Grange, got seen playing football for another wing and playing football for my wing. Yeah, and a. So yeah. you just had to tolerate the beasts. Yeah, that it, that was really bad. And like even like playing football in their teams used to come from outside. And the way I played football, there was there was a geezer there, really good footballer, really good. And I say, have you not, mate? I've met three people in prison. They should be professional footballers. They should be. There's so much wasted talent in prison. Yeah, in every in every aspect, smart people, and mm-hmm. but I'm like Jesus Christ, and this, and then I got really pally with him, really pally. And then it's come out probably a year later, a couple of years later, or a year later. Didn't come out itself for months. Um, he's climbed a drain pipe, got in a girl's window and raped her. That's why I was in prison. And I was good mates with him. And then I waited, waited and waited. I thought, I'm not going to his cell. And then he come down and I said, mate, when he come into the gym, I was the main, not wasn't the head gym only, but I've been there the longest. So I got him in the, the, the screw's office and the screw was in there and I shut the door and said, what the fuck? Why the fuck didn't you tell me? I've gone like, mate, I'm, you know, hello, goodbye, but that's all you can get now. Fucking hell, mate. I said, like, we've been friends for ages, like close mates. And that's, that's why I tended, I ended up being training with a, a big Welsh bloke, it was hilarious, and the prison officer, because I just, you know, I made so many friends in there, and then it comes out. You get these lads, I rob drug dealers. And I think, no, you don't. Then you find out he's, he's right. And that was the only, and this is what made me a little bit twisted in like, these people look like normal people. And they were the worst of the worst in there. The ones that committed horrific crimes like 30 years ago. If you're accidentally a friend with one of them, that could ruin your reputation, couldn't it? Well, yeah, I suppose if you're walking around with someone, no, I'll tell you what, if you're walking around with someone after it comes out, that's what could sort of ruin your reputation. But I used to go home on home leaves and say, so mates, oh mate, this bloke, blah blah blah. Yeah, and I was in the queue one day getting their food, and a bloke's in front of me, older bloke, and he locked a kid in a cupboard, and the kid was eating the wallpaper. They found wallpaper in his belly, and I was like, I'm starving, I'm starving. I could die for a bit of wallpaper, I could. And he's looked at me, and I was like, Yeah, I know you are. And I wasn't an arsehole, but I've been in prison years then, and I used to think, No, you don't. I had kids, and there's a couple of times where you think, No, you're a fucking arsehole, but it sounds like I was bullying that bloke but I was just like yeah and you'd hear you'd hear these people like I used to go education and you and a lot of uh, you'd hear them like they'd sort of get together and you'd hear them talking sometimes 
And I'd walk over there and they'd stop talking. Nothing. Yeah, stop talking about what you've done. It's fucking disgusting, some of them. There was one guy I got really pally with. His nephew was my mate outside. And his nephew was like, decent bloke outside. And I mentioned uh, where I'm from. Oh, do you know Blatters? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't know whether now me saying, he said a name. And I said, oh, what? Blah, blah, blah. And he was like, he looks like that. And he went, yeah. So thinking back now, did he, do you know like a medium would do? Did he go off of, on a town visit, he uh, beat a girl up, tied her up and raped her mate in front of her on a town visit. And he worked on... So from the farm, they'd cut up the animals, uh, the, the farmers, and there'd be a farm shop and the prison officers and that. And then in the end of my prison sentence, I was in a house at the end of, like, out of the prison and I could cook for myself and then we could shop at that shop. But he was in that shop at the gate selling to visitors and all that. And I'm like, what the fuck? But then a prison officer got arrested years later from that place for grooming his fucking niece. She recorded him saying, sorry, Scottish bloke, raped her and all that. Do you know, you think, fuck, that place must have... It, it was way before he become a prison officer. And you think, this... And I used to be like a bit twisted, say, like, about the kids don't let them walk to school and all that. See, because they're, they're out there. And they look normal. When you say they went quiet when you approached them then, does that mean they were, like, bragging about what they'd oh, done? I don't know whether they're bragging, but I don't know whether... I don't know, but these people look a bit shifty. They act shifty, the real bad ones. And when they're laughing and joking amongst each other, all you can think of is... What are you talking about? And then when you go over there and stop talking, you think, ah. Oh. And it was just, I, I sacrificed, like, living with them people because I was going home every month. I was up in a, in a beautiful countryside of Lincolnshire and it was flat. And I was going for runs. We were going up for runs all around the farm and all that with the prison officer. And he was like, he was clearing it. We was going for runs. And a I got really pally with a friend from Lincoln's Ho, who's sadly passed away now. He, um, we we were like best mates, and we was banged up together for years. And he was the one, like we met up afterwards and all that. And he was a, so funny. Some of the things we was at the end of an alley, and it had glass windows these doors, and they were curtained from the outside. And it was Sunday. There was a screw on a Sunday. We'd know he's on because he'd bang the doors, not let you lie in. So we thought, what, well, it'd be funny. We'd both strip naked doing star jumps and he's opening the thing and gone, for fuck's sake, and <laughs> shut the thing. And just <laughs> like a bloke, we used to play chess every night mm. and it was just like, like I was saying to you earlier, them two minutes of laughter and the rest of the day shit. But yeah, we just uh, got on really well and that really helps in a place like that. But, you know, I'm not wanting everyone to feel sorry for you. It's just... Uh, Did you have a plan for your release? Did I have a plan? No, not really. I just, I, I wanted to get out and then sort of make amends. My family really supported me, but I just wanted to get out, see my kids. Like my first time home leave, I didn't tell my kids and I knocked on the door and they come to the door and I was like, daddy, they they come up to visits, but this is going to sound really stupid. I didn't want them coming up to visits in that prison because I was worried. Do you know if one of them falls in love with your kid, this sounds really bad. One of them sees your kid and thinks, I'm going to befriend him. Do you know what I mean? Does that, that might, that's probably my problem, not. You gotta protect people. So I didn't have the kids up in that prison, but I, you do like a, a couple of months. Is it three months lie down? So you stay there for three months and then you, you start going home. Kids like that, you just want to kill them on the spot, wouldn't you? No, yeah, this is what, do you know what? Um, in Loudon Grange, there was a massive thing because they said everybody can have a computer in their cell because Loudon Grange was a private jail. So it was funded by private and prisoners spending money. And they said, or oh, you can have a, you can have a playground 
outside the visits. So in visits, you go out and there's a playground and you can actually play with your kids. Mm. And you book it and it gets okay. And then you, you, you go out and play with your kids, which you haven't been able to do for years. And people are going, fuck off. Cause there, there is, um, yards there. The Nazis are going to look at your fucking. And my argument was they're going to look at them in visits. So who cares? You might as well go out to the playground and play with your kids. Forget about what's around you. You play with your kids, but that's the problem. Thing with in prison, everyone's so worried about what everyone else is doing. Mm. And I think I was just. Everything's magnified, isn't it? Jesus Christ. You don't say hello to someone in the morning. They come up to you and put it on you in the afternoon, didn't they? <laughs> What's the matter? Nothing. Why do you say hello to me? I, I wasn't even looking at you. <laughs> and, you know, it's like that is, I had a really good mate in there and really good mate. And there'd be times you think, fuck, what the fuck? And then the next day you just get on as normal. But yeah, it's, um, but that, that, yeah, that open prison was really like, was, was good for me because I was going out and, but then it's weird how maybe institutionalized you are because you, you, um, I didn't want to go out anymore and walk dogs, which I love dogs and I loved that job. But I just thought it's, you're going out and then you're waiting for the bus and then someone gets on the bus and then something happens or someone gives you something to eat and you get out of the bus and you're eating a Snickers and they go, what are you fucking doing? Trying to smuggle that in and, and just, and you're getting searched most of the time. So you just think, you know what? It's not worth it. So I went in and I worked in the gym for months, done circuits and spin classes. And that was, that was really good. It sort of uh, set me in good stead for after prison. I'd done my personal training course in there with that. And not that I did any personal, I tried a bit of personal training when I got out, but it's forever standing at a park and someone's not turning up and you think, oh Jesus, where are they? So yeah, but I just went back to, I got out getting a release and I had a bit of time off, like a time of just chilling out and seeing family. And my mum said I used to go around her house and sit in her living room and watch films and then go back to where I was staying. What year is that when you was out? 2013. Okay. She said he comes round, fucking sits in my living room, watch films, and then he goes back to where I was living at a friend's house. And she's like, "What's wrong with him?" People used to say he must still think he's in prison, and that lasted for a few months. And then uh, slowly, and then I got uh, back back in scaffolding, which I'd done before going into prison. There was a situation where you intervened with some bullies. Some bullies. Teenage son targeted by bullies. Oh fuck! This was this was only a couple of years ago in Epping High Street. My son's on the bus and uh, this is where like these, I wish these kids, you could talk to them and you could just say like, one of my friends, his he, he job is um, making programs and charity talks and that. I'm, I'm doing that with him and we're doing talks and I'm doing some talks at schools now as well. He, so my son's on the phone to me and I've just finished him work and I said, uh, Louis, uh, what's the matter? He's gone, oh, I've just had to get off the bus in the middle of nowhere in between like, Northfield and Epping it's like Forest and why well these like my son's quite he's a lot smarter than me really really switched on he's like an adult as a kid and um they've asked to try my earphones on when did you get them so we got him I got him a phone because he moved in with me now and uh got him a phone on Virgin you get free earphones with it so he's got these new earphones them airpod things let me try them on Louis's gone no 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 they're just new they're just new so Louis and he's carried on looking forward but turned his music off and he could hear him saying we're gonna when he gets off, we'll take this off him, take that off him. So he's rung me and I fucking picked him up. I've said to my boss at work, my boss has got kids and he lives in Epping. I've gone, can I just go and get my son? He's down the road. And we was finishing work in the yard and I've drove there, drove into Epping and maybe thinking a bit too, like getting a bit carried away with the trending. 
seen these kids in Epping, jumped out, and they're like 18, they weren't at school, they was 18, 19, jumped out and said, lads, like my son's shitting himself now, he don't want to get on the bus, he used to have to get a, a normal bus, like a public bus to school. He don't want to um, get on the bus now. If an adult jumped out and said that to me, I'd say, oh, okay, you'd end up probably being mates for that kid years ago. Do you know what I mean? You'd end up keeping an eye out for him. This kid's lifted his top up and said, come around the fucking alley. If I wanted to rob your son, I'd rob your son. And I'm looking up at these 18 year olds thinking, shit. And I thought, straight away, I'm not being a statistic. Man protects his son, gets stabbed to death and all that. Because that's, that happens. And I'm thinking, fuck, what do I do? And then it's kicked off. And then like, they swung at me and I've, Eat one of them, and then I'm thinking, I'm a 40 year old man rolling around in my town. And you can imagine someone from your town, oh, he's been a prison, that scumbag. And I've got um, the scaffold firm on my back, like on my jumper. Within 20 minutes, my missus has run me up, like my girlfriend, who I've met since getting out of prison, like met on my home leaves. I wouldn't have never met her if I didn't go to prison. So there is good, there is good things. <laughs> so she's run me, said, someone's just sent me a video. You fighting in Epping High Street. And that's before I even told her what happened. And I'm like, what? Some, a friend of a friend has said, oh, this has happened. Some bloke's fucking video and it not help us while I'm rolling around. And I'm like, what? The? So we moved out then. Not, not, we was living near Epping. I moved out to a little village now, like just outside of Harlow. And there's two houses. My son hates it. He's 18 now and he, he, he's, he goes out of his mates and it's like we're in the middle of nowhere but I was just like man I was brought up in Epping and you get the occasional fight but none of that but he ran into WH Smith's and I think he knew my weakness I can't read or he was going to come out of a book (laughs) 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 but yeah and I just you know you just think like what the fuck and then things just don't go away and I'm thinking I'm going to be called that scumbag again now and then prison 10 years down the line has affected me again now with trying to find work so I've, I had a heart attack last year due to an infection heart attack yeah what was the symptoms I had myocarditis which is inf- I, I didn't know I sound like a doctor so last year I had myocarditis so I was at work stretching and um, got off and I was like Jesus and I'm, all my throat closed up I felt a bit sick and I got white oh, like I've got wines the shakes you know you think I'm going to shit myself I'm going to be sick and I've gone to sit down and all, like, scaffolders like all laughing laughing at me in the back of the van I'm like oh lads leave off and I was the first to my boss would get up there if there was a dangerous job Frank would do it he's a fucking idiot get up there and do that sort of thing so I'd go and do it and then uh, I've sat down in the van and said lads can you just do this for a minute and my mate knew I worked with a mate who was really close with he's like you alright I said yeah I'm alright I'm alright drove back home felt alright we went out for Santa Week that night next morning woke up and I wake up two minutes before the alarm Never wake up on the alarm. And that's at like uh, half five in the morning. And it was going to rain all day anyway. Woke up at half four in the morning thinking, my chest certain a bit. Rung up and it was pissing down all day, 100%. I said, I'm raining off. Left to text or whatever. What kind of pain was it? The, like two blokes. Not one, two blokes sitting on your chest. And I remember sitting... Like you're getting crushed. Yeah. And I remember sitting in the living room thinking, oh, my, do you know like... You can't sit still. And I sit in the living room thinking, oh, my chest is hurting. I'm thinking, oh, my chest is hurting. And I'm walking backwards and forwards in my living room. And I went up to my missus at a half four now. And this was only a year ago to the day nearly. And uh, she said, uh, I think I need to go. And I don't go hospital. I think I went hospital when I was born. And hospital when I'd done some mad skydiving thing. And that was it. But um, she... Uh, Sat up straight and went, what the fuck? I said, my chest... And I'd never told her what happened the day before. 
So my chest is really hurting. I sort of told her, she's like, why didn't you fucking tell me? And she knows if I'm going to moan about something, it's got to be something bad because I don't moan. And uh, called an ambulance. They couldn't make it for some reason, but said, can your missus take you to the hospital quicker than what we can get there? I said, yeah, she'll take me. Got there and then they'd done a few tests, sent me from A&E, sent me into like at Harlow Hospital. A&E and the doctors, I think, are next to each other anyway. Sent me into the doctors, said, we're going to take some blood. And I'm thinking, God, my chest is... Do you know if you've done like a chest session in the gym or been punched? It was just that feeling. It was sort of, I said to them, the pain's gone... But it's not. It's like a toothache in my chest. And they're like, right, we're going to take some bloods. And then they they said, we're going to take some bloods. And then the first blood test come back. And I said, right, you uh, have got, there's a thing called triponin in your blood. And it's damaged your heart. Triponin gets in your blood. That's how I don't know if you've had a heart attack. I, d- I don't know all this until they told me. And the person, zero to two, triponin, that's a normal person. And they said, yours is at 36,000. I was like, what the fuck? And the doctor's gone, so we think you've got a thing called pericarditis, which is an infection in the sac that the heart sits in. We're going to take another blood test. If it's the same or less, we're going to say you've got pericarditis. But if, if, if it's more, we, you're going to have myocarditis. I said, what does that mean? So I'm going to have to ring my missus and we're probably going to keep you in. And then come back and it was 50,000 plus and the scale stops at 50,000. So I said, right, you're, you're being kept in. And I, I literally had the results the other day from my last MRI scan. And uh, so I've run my missus and I said, they said I've got a thing called myocarditis. So it's an infection that's got to my heart and myocarditis is inflammation of the heart. And they reckon, me saying a heart attack, it wasn't like a conventional heart attack. They've said that. It wasn't a conventional heart attack, but they said it was a heart attack. Your heart's had a, like the infection gone on for so long and it was so bad that it's had a, a reaction, like an attack. They said that heart attack sounds scary, but that's the only way we can call it. So yeah, I've had that and um, I was in hospital for a few days and then uh, getting out, that was dodgy getting out. Do you think, am I going to wake up in the morning when you get out of hospital? And uh, lo and behold, trying to get jobs because I'm, I'm looking into maybe not doing scaffolding now because they've advised me it's not a good idea. My missus and family like, we're, we're going to be waiting for that phone call now for the rest of her life. You go back to scaffolding. This thing in your heart then, is it gone? So I got the results the other day. I've got scarring in heart and lungs, which I found out. But I'm allowed to start training again, so I've started training recently. But there's, um, you know, you've got a dodgy art there, criminal record, no qualification. I wouldn't hire me. You wouldn't, would you? So I've looked in, like, looked into work and, and things like that. Maybe not going back. A scaffolding, you could get a job in. But I just thought I'd have a little sideline look and things like that. But then I'd done antiques on the side with scaffolding a little while ago. I know it sounds mad, but I just was into furniture in there and then there's a program called the bidding room and this was only recently they wanted me to go on there and my mates on there my mates a dealer on there and they said come on and if it works out we'll make you a dealer on there <laughs> and they said your criminal record no not having you on there <sighs> so do you know you think and this is what i can't stress to everyone you do one stupid thing and i'm 10 years so 2009 i committed a crime got out in 2013 and we're now 2020 and it still bites you on the arse it's I'm not, I don't want people to feel sorry for me one bit because I know what I was doing. But fuck me, if someone listens to this and thinks, oh, no way am I going to c- commit crime. Like these kids, these young kids who are rolling around freaking Epping High Street with like an idiot. Like they were talking like they was out of a film. Come down the alley, brother, I'll juke you. And I'm thinking, what the, f-? no one spoke to me like this even in prison. And I'm thinking, fuck, and I've, you know, this, I think the, the, 
the most reoffending rate in this country is 15-year-olds. And then the second most is 10-year-olds. 10 to 15. Like, what the fuck? Anyway. What do you say to I'm going to go on ranting. <laughs> what, what do you say to young people who are thinking about carrying bags? Well, I, the good thing about all of this is I will recognise. Someone gets involved in my son, I'll see it coming mile off. But like I said earlier, if I stayed in scaffolding or done any job and kept that mortgage, I'd be sitting on all that money now. And I wouldn't have missed my brother's funeral. I just, nothing good comes, nothing good comes from crime. And I'm not saying nothing good, like what you've been through, but you've made your career. You, you, but nothing good actually comes from it. Like your family, you feel like a scum. I remember the first time I picked up my daughter from school, I felt like an absolute scumbag looking at the floor. And things like, I, I saw my daughter walk for the first time, heard her talk for the first time in Belmarsh. How can you take, you can't, you know, shit things like that. And you think them things, luckily my family really supportive. No one's, no one's turned their back on me. Maybe people have and I'm not known it, but nobody's turned their back on me. But, you know, if you're going to get involved in crime or someone's going to offer you a bit of money, just, just think, you know, there's always tomorrow and it will, it will get better. You'll get older and you'll get better at your job or, you know, do some education and get into something like that. But this is... My school asked me to do a talk. My school I went to asked me to do a talk when I got out of prison, literally when I got out, because I knew a woman who worked there. My mum child-minded her kids. But my son was going to go up to that school. So I thought, I don't really want to be the guy doing the talks when your son's at that school. And in like, I don't know whether you was the same, Sean, you don't really want to think about it for a little while. I got into a job and I thought, I don't really want to talk about it. And I don't want to... And then 10 years down the line, you have a health problem, which wasn't my fault. I was fit, don't drink, don't smoke, trained. And it's still biting you on your ass. And I'm sitting there watching these nurses do a job that really matters. And I think, right, bollocks, I want to do SANC, you know, that can help people, not something that... I don't want to go out there and just make money and pay my rent. I want to do something with a bit of, you know, a bit of substance to it as such. So for the people watching this then, how can they contact you and follow you or support you? Well, I've... Uh, my email address, which you can put on the thing after, it's my Instagram page. Instagram, much, email. Yeah, I'm, I'm on okay. that every day. But uh, yeah, I'm doing a couple of... My friend works for... He's working with these kids. Like, literally, these kids are coming off of lorries and he gets them. And some of the things are horrific. And they're, they're, they've got... Coming from Syria and things like that. And he's designing a programme... He designs programs to go to schools and things. And he's designing one at the moment. He's asked me to be part of it. And I said, listen, I'm not at work, you know, and, and, and I'm, I'm, I want to maybe go in a different direction. I, you know, I decided years, it's a long time later, but, you know, I've decided, you know, I've got to do something a bit more um, positive and maybe help someone, you know, there's, what is there, 4,000, 4,100 senior schools in this country. Mm-hmm. You go to half of them, one kid, it's 2,000 kids. But, you know, me thinking there's nothing, there's no harm in dropping a bag. Literally, no harm. There's no harm. It's only a bag. Drop that bag off. And then the whole can of, it opens a whole massive can of worms. But some people are pressured into it as well, aren't they? But you need an adult. You need an adult to go to, I think. I think you'd be really good in schools. You're a very good speaker. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. All right, so please let us know in the comments what you thought about this video. If you want to contact Frank, his Instagram, his email will be down there. And thank you for watching and give us a hug, man. Cheers, Sean. Yeah, yeah. Cheers. Thanks, Cheers. Yeah, yeah. Well done. Excellent. Cheers. Thanks for having me. Yeah.
So if you enjoy true crime books, Gadfly Press is proud to announce the publication of Son of the Cali Cartel. You may have seen the Cali Cartel as represented on Narcos. A lot of that was BS. William lays it down in this book, what actually happened. The Cali Cartel, they took over from Pablo Escobar. They were the biggest cartel in the world, dealing billions and billions per year, US dollars. And the four heads out of the two most important ones were Miguel, which was William's dad, and his brother, Gilberto. When Miguel went to prison and Gilberto went to prison, William was running the cartel. Could you imagine running a multi-billion dollar cartel? And the DEA, war on drugs, they made them public enemy number one. William got shot up in an assassination attempt in a restaurant. The book starts out with that story. His mates got murdered and he just barely made it out alive. So if you want to check it out, it's available worldwide on Amazon as an ebook, audiobook, and paperback. And the link is in the description box below this video. Cheers. Enjoy the podcast. <laughs>